welcome to the 222nd episode of the Fake Nerd Podcast. Guess what, everyone? It is less than a week until Christmas, and if you need more time, well, unfortunately, you're shit out of luck, unless you're the dudes in Tenet who can go through time for some reason. I don't know. It's normal Christopher Nolan mumbo-jumbo that it sounds cool, but when you think about it, everything falls upon itself. It's like some guy on Twitter said that Christopher Nolan movies are essentially the Kingdom Hearts of cinema. So... Here we are. No spark. Mm. Like I know, you can't do that to me because I have to unplug it now. Hold on. <laughs> I could probably find the tweet too. Uh, no, if it's just that it's like if it's just like an incoherent mess, and I disagree. I don't. I don't think that's accurate because they're not intertwined really, anyway either. They're really cool action scenes, but when you really actually apply logic to things, they kind of crumble in on itself. I don't. No, I don't. We'll get into the review, but I don't think I agree I, with this. I wouldn't yeah. say that's why Kingdom Hearts is confusing. Yeah. No. <laughs> I would say that 38 games might help with that. Uh, on to introductions. I'm Ben Magnet. That's Brian T. McClure, yeah. Ryan Eliopoulos, and Sparks Witty. Yeah, it's me. Ben, if I may interrupt your intro to do a quick intro. Um, we have a lot of links in the description below that I want to highlight. And I want to highlight some things <laughs> up top before we get into our episode, uh, if that is okay with you. Asking you have the floor, Brandon McClure. Thank you, thank you. What is uh, Congress? We have to like. Brandon is speaking. <laughs> okay, real, speak. real quickly, uh, this is our fi- for those watching, those listening. Um, this is our final episode of the year. Episode two hundred and twenty-two will be it for the year two thousand and twenty hey, for the Fickner Podcast. This is me for twenty twenty when we go to twenty twenty-one. If you inverse this episode, it's the same episode. <laughs> Um, so that's uh, sad news to be sure to many. Um, however, we do this every year. We decide to take the little break for Christmas, um, and then we're back in 2021, rejuvenated, ready to go to another year. Um, so stay tuned for that when we are back, as well as you all should be checking the links in the description. There are a lot this week. Uh, Ryan, you have a downright annoyed for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. That's right, because we do it on Mondays sometimes, and that really messes with my with how I think about things. Yes, we talked about the first Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, hey, man, mad Christmas is magical, and British kids are magical. What else can I say? Check all it out. All British kids, not just the Harry Potter kids. All British kids are magical. All of them, every single one. I, you're all forgiven. Um, so that's in the description below. Check that, check that out. Um, and I have three links in the description below. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. Um, I, I got... How do I say this without being excited? Because that's not me. I you got a piece. Produ- you were productive and motivated, and you and you did good shit. I got a piece published. Yeah. Uh, on a website called Six Feet Apart, sixfeet.com. The link is in the description below. It is about how our viewing habits have changed and adapted uh, in the time of COVID. The original title was not as clickbaity as the one they picked, and that's my own problem that I'm struggling with. <laughs> um, but. That's their title. It's in the description below. Uh, I was on the front page. I still am. That's really cool. I'm really excited about it. Paid no money, but it's published. So hey, man, yeah, I'll start. You'll start somewhere. Yeah, um, and I also have two two new <laughs> articles up on our website, FickerPodcast.com. Both of those both of those links are in the description below. The first one where I talk about the struggles that films like Dune, specifically Dune, because of Denis Villeneuve's uh, essay and Variety. Um, will have next year because of the HBO Max and theatrical re- uh, release schedule that Warner Brothers is doing. Um, films like Dune and Godzilla vs. Kong and the other uh, 
big budget blockbusters that generally don't do well in the box office uh, will have a harder time than normal. So I write a bit about that. Uh, and I also wrote about how Disney Plus could have potentially solved their identity issue that I've talked about a bit on this show uh, with the Disney Investor Day meeting. So if you like those, if you're interested in any of that, uh, all those links are in the description below. Yay. Um, hey, productivity. Yeah, and as I said, this is not the this is this may be the final episode of this show, but there are more from us coming. The Mandal the final episode of The Mandalorian is not up right now, but it will be up uh, uh, sometime this week, as well as our uh, holiday annual, which we do every year. We are giving you guys a new holiday annual that is up. Uh, that will be up on Christmas Eve this year, not Christmas Day. Um, and potentially uh, one or two more things. Uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, this is not the last time. This is not the last you see of us this year. Nope. You can't get rid of us. And that's all I got. Ooh. Hey, guys. So you remember that Clarice series? It's a sequel series, and they're not allowed to say Hannibal. Uh, <laughs> what? I, yeah, they're not allowed to say Hannibal. So and, it's, and it's a sequel. So they're just going to call So it's pointless and stupid. Uh, they're going to call him, like, remember the cannibal? Like, no, uh, yeah. Thanks. Remember I Cannibal really Man? It. Wait, it's a, it's a sequel series to The Silence of the Lambs, not the TV show Hannibal. Right, to yeah. Silence of the Lambs, yeah. correct. But the candy's Hannibal. It. That's dumb. Uh, well, hey, well, what, are, what are you going to do? Show oh, nothing. Yeah. Well, CBS, it's probably going to see up there for a hot second and then it's gonna go away i'll then... watch it on cbs all access if i run out of star trek yeah yeah <laughs> i won't watch it <laughs> i refuse um okay who wants to go first with their week i will because i did jack shit go again for yeah go yeah all i all i did was work um this this weekend all was... i did was work 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 yeah pretty much uh the only, I mean, this weekend was the first weekend in two weeks where I've had my two days off that I'm supposed to have off. So I only worked five days, thank goodness. And even then, it's like, okay, cool. I still got to catch up on stuff. I got Christmas shopping I need to get done. I got other stuff I need to get done. And then I, and I got a whole bunch of other stuff I need to get done. So it, media wise, not a whole lot. Mandalorian, I watched it. I watched the, some of our movies for the uh, Holly special we're going to do. Um, I watched a lot more Scott the Waz when I came home. I'm watching a lot of his videos. Hey, y'all. Yeah. Scott here. Yeah. And besides that, it's just when I wake up in the afternoon to go to, to get ready to go to work, I come out to the game off. I looked at my game system like, hmm, I really want to play video games, but I can't because I have to go to work. Oh, shit. That's what I was forgetting. Sorry. What? Video games. I forgot a thing. From uh, okay. Yeah. I mean, the only quote-unquote fun thing I did was just – or media thing I did was uh, I played Bloodborne for about two hours with my brother before we recorded this. Excellent. Did you beat any bosses? We did. Who? We uh, we beat uh, the Wet Nurse. Ooh, Margo the Wet Nurse? Yep, we beat Margo the Wet Nurse, and then Peyton realized that, oh, we missed like two whole levels that aren't DLC, so we went back, and then we found the Celestial Being who died in three hits because we stabbed it. And that thing is really susceptible to stabs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yo, that Margot the Wet Nurse is a dope boss fight. That thing is horrifying. And it's got oh, like, just, it's, like a, it's a wet nurse to like babies and babies are crying while you fight this uh -huh. giant hooded, like eight armed monstrosity. Like, yeah. what's you guys? That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it reminds it's, me of it reminds me of Drakengard, uh, the final 
boss uh, in the in the last level in the last ending the fifth ending the final boss is a giant lady who's pregnant and gives birth to giant babies absolutely playing that game when it gets remastered good lord okay 100 percent. if they remaster that game yes uh i guess one thing i i did do a little i did play a little bit of among us because there was a nintendo indie world uh direct that came out mm-hmm. and then among is like hey among us is on the switch so i'm like okay i'll try it. it's really good on the switch the only problem is that when you're trying to defend yourself from uh from people who are suspecting you or when you're trying to type try, type stuff um because the switch doesn't have a a dedicated headset or a headset thing which is really dumb you have to you have to actually type it out yeah like if you're on your phone you're fine because you have your phone you have your thumbs we, we text we're used to it whereas on a switch you have to literally go letter by letter and the only hot keys are like the space bar and accepting and other stuff that's why you play through discord yeah so uh oh, Ooh, I mean, it was very interesting right now they're being attacked by cats oh wow the cats are attacking now no, kitties, stop doing that. You're just climbing where they are not supposed to be climbing. <laughs> oh, of course they are. It was just funny because, like, mute Ryan runs off screen, Sparks grabs the water bottle. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. It's like, calm down, cats. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that was fu- that was memorable about me playing Among Us was that I saw the imposter kill right in front of me. So, of course, I report it, and I say, oh, it was purple. And then, the purple, of course, purple attacks me. It's like, oh, no, it was him. It was lime because i like to play as lime it's like lime's the one i'm like i saw you here it's like well i saw you kill and then like four people voted for me four voted for purple and then one dude skipped so i'm like oh. I, look who's here hey, hey hello Mag. Hey, Mag. I've, uh, Mag. I've i've never played among us you were playing with random people then i was playing with randos it was at yeah. five o'clock in the morning or no four o'clock in the morning when i started playing i should have gone to bed earlier but i'm like you know what i it will what day I get home? What time I got home from work that day? I got home late. Yeah, I got home late. And I was like, you know, what? I just want to play a few rounds because I knew I, you were there, and I really wanted to play it. I've never played with random people and without voice before, and that just seems like a match made in nightmare heaven. Like I would not. I don't. I, mean, I do that on my phone. Play that type of way without people and with just texting. That seems like it's impossible to try to defend yourself or attack someone properly with just it was this guy, it was that guy. Like you need like talking is so vital to that game. I think at least I think so. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, because the first time I've only played Among Us with the text with the keyboard or with, yeah. like, with texting, because I've only played on my phone and now I have it on my Switch. So for me, because uh, I haven't got it on my on my PC yet for Steam, we but, just use Discord. We you, we can just use yeah. We just well also because when I play with random because I played with my buddy Chris a while ago, yeah. so we just use Discord, but it was only just us. It yeah. was just my it was him, Fanny, and and uh, myself. But then we couldn't really talk to the other people, so the other people we had to like text them. That makes sense, yeah. That just seems like a like a hard game to really capture what what makes it good, yeah. without like fully utilizing it. Yeah. I mean, once I get it on Steam, I mean, it's only five bucks on Switch, and I'm pretty sure there's gonna be a Christmas Steam sale coming up. I mean, you still you could still like when we play together, Ben. You don't need to rebuy it. We can still play it, and oh, you just no. use it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to rebuy it again. Yeah. Well, just just go on Discord. Or something but yeah that was that's my week i just did a lot of stuff and a lot of working and this weekend off was like yay and then my to do this came up i'm like oh yeah that's right pass me pass me the baton ryan go the tie-in thank you uh i played uh i played three hours of skyrim on twitch and then i broke those up into three segments for my youtube channel um that's just a lot of fun i'm i'm taking that game like super seriously like i'm doing like 
not like heavy role playing, but like light role playing. We're like, I'm not fast traveling. I'm talking to all the characters. I'm letting them all speak. I'm learning about the lore. Like I'm really trying to get invested in the game. So I care about everything that I'm doing. Uh, and it's a really, really nice experience actually. And like, it, 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 the thing I love about Bethesda games is like they make great open world games and they have like great uh, characters and like cinematic moments and stuff. But like, it's always the environmental storytelling and the small moments that I really pay that I really like and pay attention to. And now that I'm playing this way, I'm noticing it so much more. And just some of the some of the details, even for a game that's almost a decade old at this point, are just still really impressive and really and really fascinating. Um, like I'll I'll talk to someone about a quest, and then usually most people would just leave after talking to that person. But I hung around because they were talking to like their wife, and then they called someone in from another building in, and they started talking about the war that's happening in the world. And I'm like, this is all subsequent and like not even important to the story, but this is all really like fleshing out the world in like a really fun way. Um, so yeah, Skyrim. Hey, it's that ten-year-old game that's been remastered a thousand times. This game's still really fun. Um, so I'm in, I'm enjoying doing that. Um, I played some Fortnite with this guy. Um, I don't I don't think I did really much else. I played like an hour of Squadrons. Um, I played some of the the Republic slash New Republic missions. Um, uh, Brandon, you played it. There's the Trandosian alien guy named Frisk, and yeah. he does. He has a great line where he's like, yeah, like the like the rebellion hired me. I mean, the New Republic, like whatever they want to call themselves, like I'm, I'm working with them now. And I think that's a great line because it's like, even there, like nobody really knows what they're doing at the start of this thing. Um, and it's just really, it's really nice. And I think the character stuff's really fun in that game. That game's kicking my ass. Uh, I don't want to turn the difficulty down because when I play multiplayer, I want to feel like like the challenge was there from the start. Um so like it's it's those later missions are getting pretty tough, and now I learned the drift thing, and I'm like, man, that's sick as hell. That drift um, thing is so cool. It makes you feel really cool every time you do it, and I'm like, yeah. I just want to do it for no reason, but like that will get you killed. And that's what gets me killed. It's just trying to be cool. Um, you actually have to play that game, and you have to be tactical, and you have to utilize the engines and the firepower and all that stuff. Um, especially in the difficult, the harder difficulties. Uh, so yeah, uh, Squadrons is still fun. I'll probably beat that game in the next couple of weeks. I don't know. Um. Besides that, I watched a bunch of movies for a thing we're going to do later. Um, I didn't get comics this week, um, but I did read some Marvel Unlimited comics. I started to read Mark Waid's Fantastic Four because for some reason uh, his run has been going around. I'm like, yo, his run's like really seminal for what like Jonathan Hickman built up on. And like not a lot of people talk about his run. So I just read like the first couple issues and that's some good shit. It's some good shit. Um, I bring that up specifically because I feel like I've been kind of hard on Mark Waid the last couple of weeks. Not for for... For the reasons that, like, I think he's still a good writer, but he's not the person I'd want to take on a major title now because he's generally safe with what he does. And specifically for DC, I heard he was taking over Superman. Luckily, that's wrong. I don't know why that rumor persisted for so long. Maybe it's something else. Maybe he's working on that anthology thing. Um, but his Fantastic Four stuff, which came out in 2001, uh, it's really good stuff. Um, and I recommend that if you guys want to read some good Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah, I think I have a few of those. Excellent. Yeah. Um, besides that, that's 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 my week. Uh I'll tell you, you also read Homesick Pilots. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, I did. Oh, that's actually, I have a lot of comics from last week uh, that I didn't talk about. Yeah, Homesick Pilots uh, is, uh, I've been tweeting about it like a storm because was just, I was so excited about it. It is, a, it is a punk rock band going into a haunted house that is also a mecca that fights like ghosts. <clears throat> and it is just one of the most original concept, concepts I've heard in my entire life. And the art is so sick and it has such a vibe. Where I'm like, oh man, this is this is a winner. This is one of those comics. Like every like month or so, like one of these books come out. Where I'm like, oh shit, man, indie comics are what it's about. Um, it was great. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a bunch of comics from last week that I read that I don't also don't remember. Um, Sword is great. I probably talked about that last week, but it's still good. Read X Men. Uh, I'll go ahead and go because, uh, like Ben, my schedule beat the shit out of me. So, um, 
I, I'll name some things, but a lot of it's because it was tied to school. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about, uh, I played Fortnite. Um, that's just, I think that's going to come up a lot. <laughs> at this point. Um, Fortnite. Almost a daily occurrence Fortnite at this is, point. Yeah. Fortnite is really fun, guys. Yeah. Uh, I think Ryan and I have really found a groove in it, um, mm-hmm. which is nice. Uh, I, I appreciate the the constant change to that game that doesn't feel like it's it's ruining it it's just like enhancing the experience um it's a lot of fun i won't say more about that right now uh i watched a movie called picnic uh for part one of my papers um i had finals this week most of my stuff is all related to finals i turned in two 17 page finals two 10 page finals and one seven page final i hate i'm so and took one test and so that was my week uh this week related to school and for one of those papers just one i had to watch a few movies and um that's procrastination kids uh (laughs) and uh one of them is called picnic from 1955 and i only want to talk about this because this movie sometimes classic movies sometimes great classic movies are actually kind of bad um and this is one of those where i don't mean anything mean except that uh the whole purpose of picnic is about um women uh not wanting to be defined by being just a housewife and men feeling like the job market this was in the 50s that the job market the promise of american upward mobility and idealism turned out to be false you're not in control of your own destiny you don't get to decide how to have the American dream. Sometimes you you don't get to be the guy who has big ideas that makes you lots of money. Uh, and the main guy has a problem with accepting that. Now, the thing is that the there are two main guys. Uh, one of them is successful. He inherited his father's business. And uh, he's very young. He's, he's like 25. And the other guy is supposed to be the same age as him. That's the main character. Um, the actor who is playing him was 37 at the time he was playing the character, who's supposed to be about 25 years old. He looks significantly older than the rest of the cast, and yet he's <laughs> trying to talk like he's like one of them when they're talking about being in their mid-20s and this kind of thing. Is this the car scene movie that you showed me? No, no, oh, it's okay. not that one. Uh, and and it just doesn't... This was the movie we were watching before that where you heard us going, that was just bad. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> and it's And it's really about like horrendous miscasting that they wanted the actor William Holden to play this main character who's supposed to be in his mid twenties, who's supposed to have like tried his luck to make it big and screwed up and coming back to his roots, trying to find some way to make some work for himself. And it plays as this, this 38 year old bum who's romancing the guy who's offering him his job. He's romancing that guy's girlfriend. Uh, And she's into him, even though because of his age, he looks like some old washed up clown. And it's like, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. This is so badly interpreted. And the woman isn't given enough of a character to be anything. And it sucks because it's Kim Novak. And Kim Novak's incredibly talented and deserves better than that anyway uh that one just really got to me i watched the original invasion of the body snatchers guys that's great if you've never gone back and watched the original i i was telling ryan because he saw while i was watching it uh i don't think i've ever seen a bad interpretation of invasion of the body snatchers Mm -hmm. uh and i've seen pretty much every one they've done um i i like every single one i think they are all excellent social commentaries on their time period uh they adapt so well to the political moment um, that it's the same basic concept, but it means something different every time. Uh, seriously, 
great great stuff it's um, the um it's the uh the daniel craig grant daniel craig did one right the invasion nicole nicole kibben daniel craig invasion, invasion. yeah yeah that's that's a good one too uh, um says just joined but i'm assuming this is a christmas movie no picnic's not a christmas movie i'm talking about stuff i watched related to school um meet john doe i've seen it before fantastic film you should check it out uh it's um uh gary cooper um really good uh and the other only other one of these these old four classrooms i want to talk about is this one which i really really liked which is called no down payment which it does have also the dumbest death scene i've ever seen <laughs> in a movie um no down payment is a movie that came out in 1957 it is about um a community in suburbia where uh gi's um who are veterans, they have been promised this housing community that is theirs. This is where they can build their American dream and so they can go there and get jobs. And it's, they're so tight knit here that all of them are talking with each other. And it is a conversation through these characters about how these GIs come home and they're still not, not guaranteed the promise of what the American dream is, even living in suburbia, suburbia, even living in what picturesquely should be the American dream. One of them is just a gas station attendant and he wants to be the chief of police, but they won't let him be the chief of police because he doesn't have a college degree because he was fighting a war, um, a really important war. And so they won't even consider him for it, even though in every other way he is qualified. And, uh, and the way that, that, that drives him to alcoholism. The other one is like a failed, he, he does, he's like, so it's like the other guy, William Holden from picnic. He's so enraptured with the idea that he can make it big. He refuses to do like work that he considers menial or service work beneath him, uh, to build his way up. He's like, I want to be making money now. So he tries to be like a big hotshot car salesman and it, it makes yeah. him so unhappy, but but and then there's another one who's working on automation for the military in, industry, and he's wrestling with the fact that like the stuff he's working on is going to put 500 people out of work. Uh, and then it's um, the there's another family where the guy owns this successful store in town, and he has this designer who designs all the like the display pieces for how the store operates. And that guy is Japanese American. Uh, and he works in suburb in this suburbia, but he has to drive an hour and a half in because they refuse to allow Japanese Americans, even though he himself is a veteran who fought in the war to own a place there. He's not entitled to it, uh, even though legally he should be as a GI. And so, uh, he has this conversation with his boss and his boss gets into an argument with his wife about why this is, isn't okay. And why they should be allowed to have a Japanese American family move in. They're some of the best people they know. Mm -hmm. And these kind of conversations were so wild and insane to be happening in that moment in time uh, on film. They're not often that you see that for the time period. And that's probably one of the reasons why this movie's really not talked about a lot. The other reason is like probably also because of the, the material that's in it. None of the actors are like big names that you would know. Most of them are things you would recognize as like a guy who showed up in an episode of the Twilight Zone or something. Oh, uh, they're TV actors, but they're not film actors. They are not icons. Uh, this movie goes way under the radar, but it it's I I have not seen a classic film do such direct social commentary in the moment like that in a long time. Where it's like saying, "Hey, we're in 1957. Maybe America's military industrial complex is actually dooming GI veterans." and bad and i'm like oh wow that's wild uh so that one uh i'm just gonna tell you that one is available for free on youtube right now so any of you can go watch 
no down payment 1957 uh the full film i highly recommend it it is a really really interesting uh piece of film that definitely represents a different perspective than what you are usually fed by films from that time period uh and i really enjoyed it it also does have the dumbest ever death scene at the end of a film i've ever ever seen i had to show it to ryan because it's so stupid um so check that out uh and then outside of those things still related to school uh i watched adventure time distant lands obsidian which is the latest adventure time special i did that because i was writing a paper about how uh children's cartoons have uh completely are are the uh media pushing the boundaries of lgbtq representation on television more so than live action even is Mm -hmm. um and uh in a general sense and adventure time Obsidian was a, a big part of that conversation. Originally, I wasn't going to include it. And then I watched, I suspected I needed to watch it to make that decision. And I watched it and I went, oh no, this has to be part of the conversation. This is extremely relevant right now in this moment. Um, that, that special is incredible. It's 45 minutes of just good, 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 good stuff. Um, it's all about Pebble, Princess Bubblegum and Marceline. It's, it's juicy as hell. Hey, and if you, didn't, if you can't watch all of Adventure Time, HBO put out a 30-minute uh, uh, catch-you-up about that whole that uh, whole thing. So be careful with that because it oh, no. actually has a lot of pieces from the special. Whoa. So it's actually better to watch it as a special because it's not necessarily a catch-you-up. Oh. It is contextualizing because the special is jumping backwards and forwards from when their relationship existed before the show happened and they broke up to currently after the show ended and they're together okay and so be careful with that because it's it's trying to show you where all of those beats fit into the series timeline gotcha so um, ignore me and listen to that uh i really i really like that special and i was really happy to see that we got to see what marceline and bubblegum's relationship was before the show started uh we've always heard that was like they've implied many times that they were in a relationship and they broke up and to see that was and why they broke up was really is really cool, I thought. Uh, the ending of that special is really uh, pitch perfect, I think. Uh, Brandon and I are probably going to do a discussion thing about the Adventure Time specials at some point in the near future. Hey, I want to just quickly say, uh, I didn't know that's who that was, and I hope you get my meaning. Which one? Uh, just text me. Okay. Uh, you'll, you'll have to be a little specific. I, I'm sure... We might be on the same page, but I'm not 100% sure. Hey, Kong. Hello, Kong. Hello. Um, okay, uh, so last things. Obviously, Mandalorian. We talked about that on another show. I'm not going to say anything about it here, uh, but we did that. Um, I watched uh, these movies, um, Anna and the Apocalypse, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, Better Watch Out, and Die Hard. I have no particular idea. I imagine we're talking about them in some other thing that's coming out on Christmas Eve. I guess check that out. So the last thing I'll talk about is the last uh, chapter of Dragon Ball Super released today, um, uh, the latest one, and ended the Moro arc. And um, set up, uh, this was weird, because uh, I'm not used to this in Dragon Ball Super, in Dragon Ball manga. Uh, this this uh, Half of it is the conclusion of the Moro arc, and half of it is like comic book setup for the next thing mm-hmm. uh, that is spilling out of the Moro arc. And um, I'm very, I'm very curious uh, and confused about exactly what it's going to mean. And uh, it, it definitely, there was this moment where the way that, just the way that the last chapter, I'm sure I'll change my mind later, but the way that the ending of this chapter is presented, we're introduced to a new character, a couple of new characters, 
Um, and I definitely get this vibe like, all right, but how are these not generic anime dudes? Mm. Uh, is kind of where I'm at right now, where I'm like, how is this not Toyotoro not just using like Toriyama's design space and making some random stuff? This feels weirdly filler, but like it also should be important. So I don't know. Um, Dragon Ball Super. All right, that's me. Uh, okay, I'll go. I'm gonna start with some. I'm gonna start a little differently this time. I want to talk about some things that I'm excited that I bought. Uh, and I have in front of me, and I want to just showcase with them. Because um, I'm excited about them, and I want to share them with you. Um, I bought this little cool Lego set, which is a Christmas Carol Lego set. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, it's on a, it's on a Christmas Carol book. It's the scene with a, um, a Tiny Tim and, and um, Cratchit. That's awesome. The, Evan, you were um, just staring out the window? Yeah, the I, saw the, the window. I saw this uh, for like... Buy $150 worth of Legos and you get it for free. And I was like, I, I, I can't do that. And then I saw it on Amazon for like 30 bucks. I was like, I can do that. So I did that. I'm really excited to build that. Um, I have been recently converted into the Church of Gamera. Uh, our Ooh. Lord and Savior Gamera, the guardian of the universe himself. Um, uh, more from that hopefully soon from the, both the show and me. Uh, but because of that, I went into a... Uh, rabbit hole is writing a piece about gamera and why that's why that trilogy that i watched recently the hasty trilogy is so good um and one of the things i noticed is that the director of that film is also the co-director and the visual effects and suitmation designer for shin godzilla yeah cool. and i was like holy shit that's awesome he's also a writer on evangelion and i was like oh my god it all makes uh, sense this is amazing. Uh, and then, of course, I, what I already knew I was reminded of that he directed the two Death Note live action films. Oh, look at that. Which I really loved. And so I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to commit to that. So I bought those. I bought the them. Two live there. action Japanese Death Notes, yes. Yes. Because uh, uh, there are so an American one. Don't worry about it. On, a, about it. No on, a, similar, on a similar note, I bought uh, recently because it was on Christmas sale the fourth. Death Note movie, the Death Note change the world, light up the new world. Uh, so was that? I definitely. So it takes place ten years after the end of Death Note two. Okay. And uh, there's there's it's a whole new kind of story because it's not based off anything in the manga. It's a whole new thing set in that movie world, and it's about a new Kira coming up. Ooh, um, like new all new characters. All new characters. Mm. Uh, I oh, definitely oh, want to check that out. Me too. Um, so yeah, I was really excited. I bought those two Death Note movies. I've never owned them before, so I'm excited about that. Um, I bought some new comic books that I, I have not read, but I'm excited to read them, which is why I'm going to talk about them a bit. Ooh. The final Dark Horse Star uh, Alien comic book, the original screenplay as a comic book. I bought that. Nice little mm -hmm. hardcover here. Um, so excited about that. I, I love those. If it'll be as good as the Star Wars. Well, you know, we even talked about when we talked about the Star Wars, like, I just like seeing how the story originally played out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So even there, because I got the William Gibson Alien 3 hardcover also. Um, it's just fun to see the alternate takes that the story could have done. What if? Um, I bought Once in Future Volume 1. I'm excited to read that. Dan Mora, Kieran Gillen. I almost, that's, I... We oh, yeah. Never mind. <laughs> Timing is funny with specials and stuff. I mean, we can say we recorded it already. 
Yeah, I almost bought that for you, but I wasn't sure if that was on the horizon for you already. And then I saw yeah. something else. Um, and then I bought a couple of Donny Cates books. Actually, one is still in the mail. I bought Baby Teeth. That's not here yet. I also mm-hmm. bought Invincible Vol- Volume Run, Invincible Volume One, which is not here yet either. Um, but I bought I bought two new Donny Cates books: Buzzkill and Ghost Fleet. Mm, I know um, Ghost. some of his earlier works. Uh, love Donny Cates. Excited to read these. Heck yeah! And then I bought Miracle Man Volume One. Hey, by Alan Moore. Hey, I know Mr. Alan Moore. Did you buy that because of the Patrick Willems video? No. No? Okay. No. Um, I've always had an interest in it because of the Neil Gaiman run. I was, I'm was i actually more interested in the Neil Gaiman run, but because that didn't finish, I figured I'd go back. Yeah. Um, and I like Alan Moore, so I was like, hell yeah, I'll, I'll pick up Miracle Man. Hell yeah. There you go. That is uh, a... it, it was a coincidence that I the, the, the Patrick Willems one. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Miracle Man is, is that comic right there is legitimately one of the greatest comics ever made. <laughs> Pretty much anything Alan Moore writes is one of the greatest things ever made, but like that is such a deconstruction of what it means to be a superhero and have a legacy. It's uh it's it's just amazing. It's, it's just- so it's uh Miracle Man is basically Shazam. Um they 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 were pretty blatant in the beginning that they just kind of recolored Shazam, yeah. um, took off his cape, but it does evolve into its own thing. It's actually so the volume I have is the Marvel reprints and hardcovers. They reprinted the entire run that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons did. However, they cannot say by Alan Moore. So it is by the original author. That's hilarious. Um, they also had reprinted when they were done reprinting the Neil Gaiman stuff, they reprinted the Neil the sorry, the Alan Moore stuff. They reprinted the Neil Gaiman stuff and he did and then it was the plan was that he and the guy who did Fables um we're going to return yes we're going to return to miracle man and finish their run that they never finished and that was like 10 years ago and that hasn't happened yet so i mean yeah i don't i don't know what's happening with that book they they said they're still working on it and then it's like things just stop production i'm like i don't understand how that happens anymore yeah so those are things that uh i'm gonna read by the next episode we do so i'm excited about those and i just wanted to share those hell yeah yeah um i'm gonna get the Christmas movies out of the way because I did watch a lot. Um, I watched The Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey. Um, that's as I put as I put on my Instagram story. I have seen almost every version of A Christmas Carol, and that is certainly one of them. <laughs> I haven't finished it yet, and boy, I wish I have. <laughs> I, I did. I, I find it fine. It's enjoyable. It's a. It's it's getting very dated now with the technology. Yeah. Um, I th- actually think Jim Carrey is a good choice for scrooge and i like the choices that they make with the uh with the three ghosts with jim carrey playing the three ghosts um there is just the problem that i always have with every with every christmas carol version i don't like the ghost of christmas past i've never liked the ghost of christmas past yeah hmm. wasn't yeah because in that one it was the the flame head right the candle, yeah, the candle. yeah brandon um, and i had a twitter conversation about this where i said i'm just We've had so many versions of Christmas Carol. I am waiting for the one where subtextually it's implied that it's his mother. Yeah. And I can't believe we haven't gotten there yet. Um, so I watched, then I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is not a Christmas movie. It's a Thanksgiving movie. Um, oh. But it's a good movie. Classic. Oh, yeah. Um, speaking of Christmas Carol, I watched The Man Who Invented Christmas, which is the biopic about Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol. I love that movie. I think that movie is super inventive with how it uh, deals with uh, writer's process um and really cool to see charles dickens played by dan stevens 
kind of go through his own version of a Christmas Carol with the cast of a Christmas Carol kind of bickering behind him. I think that's a lot of fun and it's a really fun movie. Awesome. Um, I watched the holiday Inn for the first time. It's an old movie with Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. Um, that's, that is a good movie with a very uncomfortable blackface scene in the middle of it. Whoopsies. That's so true. Oh, you done did a blackface. Oh no. <laughs> that's Cut it that, out. that is such a good slogan. Oh, you done did a blackface. Oh, God. <laughs> um I hate when you're enjoying something and then it's just like, oh, this is awful. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that happens. Um Turner Classic Movies has done a really good job of bringing on like black filmmakers and uh actors to and and just like film um scholars to talk about like why they this was kind of uh like they they kind of hint hint uh point point at um not putting out like song of the south and that kind of thing mm -hmm. they said like they think it's because it, turner classic movies was doing like a black history spotlight month but part of that was they were also showing things that showed blackface and uh so they that were talking about your bookshelf uh oh god <sighs> dang it um so they were talking about how yeah, you uh black <laughs> blackface uh in films isn't something that we should try to just like erase and ignore and and like it, the, they don't want to see these movies come out with the blackface scenes come out and that uh, like cut out of it and that kind of thing because this was kind of in response to the this was earlier this year and this was kind of in response to the to the like you know oh we removed that episode of community where he's a black elf and i'm yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know we're the ones where rise lions like i think you're, i think that people are kind of missing the the point of like having conversations about those moments and like yeah. what they what they provide whether it's like classic films or things that are happening in like the, re the past decade but certainly in classic films like it's more important to have those things in there and be willing to engage in critical dialogue about it than just pretend that it didn't happen you're right yeah i agree um but watching that sequence uh it's very uncomfortable because they do it because they're like yeah why don't we do a blackface sequence so that you're not so that fred astaire doesn't know it's you and you're not taken by fred astaire uh because being crosby likes this girl uh, so he's trying to hide her from Fred Astaire, who who also likes the girl, and the the they sing a song. So it becomes Bing Crosby and blackface singing about how great Abraham Lincoln was on Lincoln's birthday, uh, how he freed the slaves, um, and then the girl runs out with these awful pigtails and blackface, and is just like look how great. And then their African American maid joins in on the singing, singing to their singing to the kids, being like Abraham Lincoln said, uh, huh. I can't say the line. Um, I, it's, I'm uncomfortable saying the line that she says. Um, how about how Abraham Lincoln was great and freed the slaves? And I'm like, boy, I understand the context, but in the 2020 post BLM, like this is awful. Right. Yeah. It's a, that is a. I know which scene you're talking about. I haven't watched Holiday in a few in a few years, but I know which part you're talking about. And it is a rough thing to sit through when when like you're you're looking back at it, but. Yes um that's that's what happened and we we are fortunately not in that place anymore where that's just widely acceptable behavior to do things like that right um but moving on to that I'd, i watched i'll be home for christmas for the first time that's the film with the kid from home improvement i forgot his name um jonathan, jonathan taylor, taylor thomas, thomas. you know what that swung around in my head but i was like that can't be right jtt uh, jtt that's that's a good movie i, I enjoyed that i never seen it before isn't if you get home for Christmas, he'll keep the car. That's the thing. Look at right? a Porsche. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Ooh, I love that privilege. And like the whole thing is that his girlfriend wanted him to like want to go home with his family genuinely. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then she finds out it was just for a car. And she's like, oh, now we break up. And I'm like, <laughs> I, man, 
the nineties had like really weird goalposts <laughs> yes. on what define like good relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before you went to um, Christmas to spend time with your family, that's great. Actually, I went so my dad would give me a car. What? I mean, of the, course. The, the last Christmas movie I watched was uh, actually just an hour ago. I finished Klaus, which was the animated Christmas movie that came out last year. Ah, uh, that one. It is the second time I've seen it. Uh, I bawled again. We talked about it on our last year uh, holiday annual. That movie is incredible. It is. Yeah, it's... yeah. Um, it is. And then I watched the first Sherlock Holmes movie by Guy Ritchie. I really enjoy that movie. I think that's a lot of fun. It is fun. I um, like. I like Robert Downey Jr. in his in his accent. <laughs> Whatever. There, there's. There's a lot that I like in that movie. Mainly the relationship between Jude Law and Robert Downey Jr. I think they have a really they have really good chemistry. I really like Rachel McAdams as Irene Adler. I think she's perfect in that role. Um, Mark Strong is a very fun, if stiff, villain at times. Um, although all in all, it's got a lot of energy, and I and I find the movie enjoyable. Um, but as I mentioned before, I really like the second film. I think that movie is legitimately good, and I'll go to bat for that film any day. Bad. Um, but that's it. But that first one was pretty fun. Um, I watched. I finished the first season of Ducktales. Um, the new David Tennant Ducktale, Ducktales. Um, I mentioned it a little bit, but the voice cast in that show is incredible. Its ties to Tailspin and Darkwing Duck are very slight, but fun okay. if you recognize those things. Um, the the voice cast is so diverse and really. And really fun, like Lemon Will Miranda plays Gizmo Duck, and uh, they actually get a uh, ethnically. Wait, that's Lemon Miranda. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Oh man, I knew they, he was a girl. I just didn't know who he was. No. Yeah, they uh, get a, a, a ethnically appropriate actor to play Don Carnage from Tailspin, who is a villain on Tailspin. He ends mm-hmm. up being a villain on Ducktales. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they re they they make. Magic at the Spell far more menacing in this show uh, than they did in the original show, uh, and they have her played by the uh, by Catherine Tate, who played Donna Noble on Doctor Who, uh, having that connection between Doctor Who, David Tennant um, playing Scrooge. I love that show. I think it's incredible. Uh, so fun and inventive and progressive, and and just a lot of heart in that show. And it's such a shame that the third season it's his last. I need to yeah. watch more season two. Yeah. I mean, um, I started season like after I got to um, got season finished season one a while ago. I instantly started season two, and I'm like, okay, right, cool. And then I was like, oh, I gotta go to bed. And then it's like, oh, I got, I haven't watched it since. That's how it happens. Yeah, yeah. a fever. It's because um, I get it's the same with my hero academia because I was like, cool, I'm I'm catching up. I'm on. I'm on it. I'm on it. And then the holiday season started, and then work just took over my life, and other things took over my life. Kind of like how finals took over Sparks. There was, uh, I did get to the part where Don Cheadle voices Donald Duck. So did I. Yeah. Um, that's at the end of the last of the first season. That's really funny because she said because he starts saying some really badass stuff, and Bleakly <laughs> is like, "Have you been saying this the whole time, dude?" When he takes the harpoon, goes, "I am the storm." Yes, and she and she's just like, "Have you been saying cool shit like that all the time?" Because. <laughs> I really like that. I really, I really thought that was a really fun thing to do with Donald Duck. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, I started playing Immortals: Phoenix Rising. I'm not very far in it. That's just a statement that I did it. Um, that's super cool. But I started and finished the first 
reboot Tomb Raider game. Lara, fight them wolves. Um, the that game is really fun. I really hate the voice acting though. Um, oh no. I but there's also there's also a moment. I, I like the game in the back half more than I like the game in the first half because there's a moment where the characters are like, Laura, what's happening? And Laura says exactly what's happening. Matthias is taking over, uh, has taken Sam because they want the spirit of Himika, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, I'm playing this game. I didn't know any of that. Uh, yeah. There is definitely a moment where Laura Croft, the character I've been playing, knew more about the game than I was than I knew. Sure, yeah. Um, um, and I think that's just because the beginning, like, really, like, wants to speed into the into the final half of the game yeah uh i played that game once when it came out uh, 10 years ago now like i don't even know when that first one came out 2013 uh, 2013 okay uh uh i remember liking it a whole lot and then i never played those sequels and apparently the sequels just like just get better and better and i'm like uh one day i have rise of the tomb raider in the mail i'm excited to play that but um the tomb raider video game uh Reminded me a lot of Uncharted, which is the point, um, which is why I really wanted to go to it. Um, but there are actually things that I like more about the movie that is based off this game uh, than I like in the game. So the game is more supernatural than the movie, than the Alicia Vikander movie. Mm-hmm. However, the Alicia Vikander movie does more with her relationship with her father. Um, and I think that character building works better in the movie than it does in the game because we just kind of get hints that her father trained her and blah 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 we don't get any of the bits with her in london um dealing with her father's disappearance in the first game um yeah. that's all come later uh no know that that movie is strongly based off these games but it's based off um the the first movie is taking a lot of cues from the games that were already out there mm-hmm. is more stuff with her dad that they are playing from like you know, this I know tw- what you're saying. There's, I know yeah, what yeah. you're saying. Like, but they weren't focused on that relationship for the first game. They developed it in the second. Yeah. Uh, and it, they focused instead on like just her and her relationship with her sister on the island and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's her sister. Uh, Sam, right? I don't think I Sam's don't her sister. She's Asian. I I could be, I I could be misremembering how that relationship is. It's been a while. Yeah. I have a girlfriend, honestly. She's exceptionally important to her, and I, I, I think I programmed that in my memory as sister. I, I'm not going to commit to like saying that's what it was. Yeah, um, but that's all I did. Cool stuff. Whoop whoop whoop! Look at that, 46 minutes. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, shall we get into our bread and butter then? Yes. Mm. B to the B, if you know what I mean. And here is your bread and your butter. Hey, okay, not in my ear, thank you. Here's our bread and butter, our news. Um, sadly, we have some uh, sad news to start with. Jeremy Bullock, who is the original actor to portray Boba Fett in Empire and Return of the Jedi, has passed away this week at the age of 75 due to health complications, including Parkinson's. Was, was he also the voice or was someone else the voice originally? Originally? I, think, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm talking like when the original trilogy came out, who was the voice? Because right now, if you watch it, the voice is Tamoya Morrison. Yeah. Um, I'll look. But uh, I just wasn't sure if he was or not. But he's obviously the guy in the suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Iconic work. Mm-hmm. It will live there forever. Yeah. Passed away on Second Thursday. 
second most iconic suit silhouette out of uh, Star Wars. Eh, maybe third. I guess we'll go Darth Vader, Stormtroopers, then Boba Fett. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think okay, it is. Boba, Boba, yeah. Sorry, oh, yeah. go ahead, Ben. No, the silhouette for Boba Fett is very recognizable, and I would I would say it's up there, maybe top five. Oh, I mean, like it's definitely third. I just was like, mm-hmm. oh, I guess I'd put it behind Stormtroopers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, because when you think Star Wars, the first thing you think of is Vader, Stormtrooper, then Boba. Yeah. yeah. He he didn't really have a, a large body of work. He did some things. Uh, he was in a Bond um, later on and later on after Star Wars. Uh, he uh, he passed away on the same day that Mandal the, the final season final episode of Mandalorian uh, dropped. Yeah, oh. it sucks. It does. Yeah. Rest in peace, King. Okay, so we have an update about the Ray Fisher allegations um oh. not about ray fisher though amazing tell me more this is about gal gadot <gasps> what? gal gadot has finally spoken up about her relationship with joss whedon on the justice league reshoot sets um it ain't gal- so, gal. what say it ain't so gal <laughs> and um did you by the way did you hear about the thing where patty jenkins was like yeah none of the directors count the joss whedon movie we don't we all wrote that off that's hilarious. I, I love did it. hear that. I love yeah. that. I did not. That's news to me. Well, anyway, Gal Gadot was interviewed um, because of the because of Wonder Woman eighty four coming out. She was she's being interviewed, and so obviously, uh, she uh, was asked about the allegations. Which is story? And by the way, comments. I've made snowflakes of Boba Fett's mask before. Cool. That's dope as hell. Um, she said that uh, she didn't get along with Joss on set. But she didn't film anything with the boys. She she quotes the boys. The um, boys. So she wasn't on set with uh, the other cast members, apparently. Um, she also said that uh, when she that after she didn't get along with them, she had some problems with them. Uh, she went to the higher ups and complained, and they uh, they quote took care of it. I don't know what that means. Um, and then the final thing she said, uh, she's glad that Ray, that uh, Ray Fisher finally told his truth. Uh, she wasn't privy of what was exactly going on there, but she heard the stories, um, again, because she didn't work with them on the reshoots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then said that, uh, she doesn't know what remedial action means either. When asked <laughs> what the Warner Brothers investigation yielded. Yeah, that makes sense. No. Oh. Uh, hey man, that's, I mean... I guess it just like supports like, hey, maybe. I mean, we all know Justin kind of sucks. I guess so. Like, I guess it just confirms that. I don't know. I don't know how much that like helps raise like legal case against this. But like, yo, Joss can be a shitty person still. Yeah. yeah, I guess. yeah. She was interviewed. Uh, she was interviewed for the investigation as well. Um, oh. Okay. So she was one of the people that they brought in for the investigations against him, uh, and on Justice League. So. All right. Guess we'll find out more. Yep. Um, I'm sure we'll get to it in the news later, but like. I, I, just because you brought up the Patty Jenkins thing, like, uh, I get being like, yeah, we just, you know, kind of want to just ignore being beholden to the continuity of that movie. I'd be like, sure, that doesn't mean that we need to like remake the continuity with a four hour, oh, of course, adventure thing, of course, uh, which, but that's, that's, that's canon, baby. That's, that's, that's the new life. If you want, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the bit of news that Sparks is referencing is that jo- uh, Zack Snyder really wants to put his four hour cut of Justice League in theaters mm. with an R rating I'm where good. Steppenwolf rips people in half and 
Batman says Batman the F-bomb. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, if I, was like a, if I was like 12 years old, I'm sure that sounded sick, but I'm like, you know, like I value my character and so stuff like that. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I feel like he's really trying to make his like, oh, yeah. Oh, what, what was the sense I had in my head? Before Here's the, the thing. Maggie May Fish. Maggie May Fish put out three very good Zack Snyder episodes. Her final one um, talks a bit about about this, about why people uh, uh, latch onto his films so much. And I think this is it. People kind of like have this cultist thing, like he's making movies for me. I feel seen because I'm because he is making the movie about me. I'm Batman. I'm Superman. Um, and it also reinforces like I never want to spend any a single moment in his cynical, <laughs> stupid world again. I'm I'm. I, see, the, I'm just still endlessly fascinated, and I can't wait to see what it is. I'm so fascinated by it. I just feel uh, like he's trying to be edgy for edgy's sake. He's like, guess what, guys? I'm man, this, is, this is his MO for 20 years, my man. He's I, made, I he, his first movie was Dawn of the Dead and 300 and, and Watchmen. These are all like... He's, he's, not, he's, not being, he's not being edgy for edgy's sake. He's, he doing it, he's doing it because he thinks that's what... Uh, fans want he thinks that's what his fans want that's what he wants to see that's what that's how he makes these movies feel like they're real or they're adults they're they're for you yeah um i I would and also and i wouldn't i would argue that 300 isn't edgy 300 i feel is like this is just like a testosterone field let's kick some ass movie i don't know there's a call that edgy there are dudes who have saws built into their hands and they're like 10 feet tall. And those are literally like metal covers. Like there are mute monstrosities in that movie. They're giant elephants that are like Moma Kills from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's heavy metal. If you ask me. Uh, yeah. I just, all I, all I don't want to see is like them to, to drop the four hour thing and then being like, so uh, we're, we're now giving Zack Snyder three more, whatever projects and this is the heart of dc continuity going for see i don't i think this is just i think this is an appeasement thing i hope so but i'm nervous about that being the way that they decide to spin this and i'll be like no i don't want everything to kowtow back to zack snyder i don't want him to go and be producer on a whole bunch of things because regardless of whatever patty jenkins has to say (laughs) about her connection with zack snyder i think him being a producer hurt the wonder woman movie so yeah and there's stuff that just came out about that movie too uh like if an interview with patty jenkins uh, I, I'm not saying it was Zack Snyder that made that last act, the action fest that it became. I'm uh, not not saying it though. I'm said, not not saying or it. said kill all the gods or yes, it, lots of that stuff, all the violent stuff that when a woman is yeah yeah. Right. Anyway, um, real quickly, uh, uh, which story has some comments for us? Sounds pretty disturbed to me. Well, I'm gonna go that far, but maybe. Uh, she's which historian? Sorry, uh, which historian? You are so right. Uh, 300 needed to be more gay. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so much more gay. Um, okay, watch those, that Ma- movie were more gay. 100%. watch those Maggie Mae Fish episodes. Those are really great, just kind of dives into Zack Snyder um, and, and how he thinks that, like, compassion is a weakness that can't be... Men can't be compassionate. Yeah, his thing... Yeah, it, my last thing about this is, uh, like, his view on, like, superheroes being re- real, real to him is, like, sadness and bleak. Like, like I... Hey, I also want to see, like, a realistic Superman movie, but Superman is the one who is the beacon of hope. That's literally the point of his character. Like, he's we'll the one about, who is for everyone. Uh, we'll we can talk def- about that more with Superman for All Seasons. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We'll definitely talk about that later. God, this book made me so mad that, that Man of Steel exists. Yeah. I'm just... I can't even... <laughs> 
yeah. Or BVS. Yes, but it's just the foundation. Um, okay. Heroes was in yep. the news. The TV show Heroes, if you recall that show from way back uh, when. The cheerleaders uh, save the world. Save save the world is on right after Deal and Ordeal, which was my Monday night ritual for I want to say, yeah, my sophomore year. So Leonard Roberts, who played D.L. Hawkins in Heroes, he was the guy who can face oh, the matter. The guy who can face through, oh, yeah. Oh, man, I love that guy. He was, uh, he was Ali Larder's character's husband in the first season. Yes. Uh, he oh, spoke God. about he spoke about how uh, his treatment on set was and why he was written off the show. Um, and it's real racist. Oh, yeah. man. So I really... It's going to sound like it because I'm only bringing it up because this article came out, but it's going to sound like I'm just placating to the article. But I tweeted about this because uh, uh, just real quick, which historian will in realism with superheroes at this point is based off an American ideal that doesn't exist anymore. You are so correct. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, it's going to sound like I'm placating, but I'm not. I'm being sincere. There have been moments specifically in this past year where I have thought, where is Leonard Roberts right now? What is he doing? That guy was so good. Why did he, why wasn't he uh, a bigger thing? Not necessarily why wasn't he on more of Heroes, but why wasn't he a bigger thing after that? And it's partially on, wasn't he on, was he on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Wasn't he Deathlock? No, you're thinking of somebody else. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I know who you're talking, that's, that's somebody else. Um, Leonard Roberts has gotten work. Um, It's just, he didn't get the notoriety I thought he deserved. Mm. Um, and he brought a lot of attention to with this article, which is all about um, really, really systemic racism mistreatment that happened uh, related to heroes, uh, related to the fact that Ali Larder uh, had problems with filming intimate scenes with him. And there doesn't seem to be any reason besides the fact that he was black. He didn't assume that. He assumed that's just a thing she had until he talked to Adrian Pazdar who that same season had a stripper scene thing with her. And uh, Adrian said that she had no issues. In fact, she wanted to like improvise a lot of like in- intimate stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that made that really weird and uncomfortable. Um, and Tim Kring and uh, the guy in the article, who's the, uh, the other guy, uh, head executive head at uh, M- NBC, uh, they basically say like, Hey man, you know, we all know, like, she's just real difficult to work with. We're sorry. Uh, that's, that's real tough. Um, we think it's just going to work better if we, you know, write you out of the show. And there's a specific line where the executive is talking to him and he's like, I don't want you to think of this as, uh, as the, the black guy getting the shaft and, and the white girl getting away with it kind of thing Yeah, is the way that, uh, the, the guy presented it. And it's like, well, he got killed off. And then Ali Larder went on to be on several seasons of the show uh, uh several, several several many episodes yeah. uh so it's a little like what I heard, go ahead i've heard uh just through the internet three years that ali larder is a nightmare yeah. um whether it's racism uh just being a jerk or both uh i heard uh she's terrible <laughs> from from, um, from sets one of the things that was really shitty was how they wrote him off they killed him with a bullet where his power is he can walk he can face the matter <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I remember when that happened and we were watching the show and I'm pretty sure Brandon and I uh, definitely had a discussion where we're like, that was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like, why did he get killed with a bullet? 
Um, I had to go back and watch it again. It's filmed badly. It looks bad. It's uh, all. It feels so forced. Uh, he he describes it in the article, and I had to go back, and I'm like, oh my god, he's right. And the, the way they shoot it is literally like he he the the gun is put to here on his chest. You cannot see his face. You just it's the focus is on her reaction. He fires the gun. Her head is here. The blood splatters from this side. Uh, and the gun pulls back and he's dead. And that was the end of him being on the show. And the guy like, like puts the gun in front of him. So it doesn't make sense. It's like, I recalled when he was, when I was reading the article, I'm like, oh yeah. Cause he like got shot in the back of the head or something. And I'm like, I guess that's why we were able to accept it because like he couldn't face through cause he didn't see it coming. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, the guy pointed it right at his chest <laughs> in front of him. It's really bad. Anyway, that's not really the point of this. The point of this is that it's, it's some, there's just some really sad, gross systemic, racism shit that obviously went on uh that it's very clear even without me going back and watching all of heroes that like everything he describes in the article i'm like oh that's totally there yeah yeah i see where all of that was a problem and, and was happening and honestly um just thinking back to that first season i didn't give two licks about ali larger's character by the end of that season i wanted uh dl to stick around and dl is already uh you know like it's a big deal that he was on the show but he was already as leonard roberts points out like a pretty racist representation he was a black father who was considered a criminal who had been in prison and escaped with his phasing ability and therefore was assumed dangerous to his white wife and his mixed race son and like that's shitty there was just a lot of shitty shit. They didn't turn around at all. Uh, and then they died. That's so dumb. And I'm so... It, I I really liked Heroes at its time. Uh, and I'm sure like I'd enjoy things about going back and revisiting it. But ooh, 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 this is bad. Emma! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I agree. Yeah. All right. Just to quickly comment on that, because I remember... Do you guys remember that DC put out Heroes comic books that went along with the show? Oh, baby, I have them all. All both both volumes. No, I I mean I well yeah, but I also have everything that they put on the computer downloaded into my computer. Oh right. Yeah. No, because there's a story in in volume one of the books that I really liked. It was or was it volume two? But it was about um D, it was about um DL. and because him him he so he leaves prison. I guess he gets his name cleared. But then he trains to be a firefighter, and to pass a, and then one of the exercises goes wrong, and he actually saves someone and earns the respect of the captain who was giving him so much shit, more shit than he should have been getting. And then he's like, he earns respect, and he's like, "No, you're going to be a firefighter. You you made your son proud." And I was like, "Ah, why couldn't they put that in the show? That would have been awesome." So a lot of those things in those comics that I wanted There's in the show. Yeah, there's a lot of things in the Heroes comics that's like, how come these ideas, these radical cool ideas didn't make it into the show? That It's like, because Heroes started when its first season was happening about like diversity, which it had, but uh, as Leonard Roberts points out, by the end of the season, they killed off a lot of the non-white characters. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it had that diversity and it had this ordinary people thing. And so it was like, oh, it's supposed to be this expansive kind of rotating door of characters. And <laughs> the comics and, that they did to tie into the show kind of emulated that more than the show ever did um anyway leonard's robert leonard robert's piece is extremely thoughtful well written uh very eye-opening i highly recommend everyone reading it i was really happy to see him express it uh and share it and i'm glad that it's out there and i think he deserves recognition for uh i i can still remember vividly scenes of him where he shows so much emotion in that season which is one of the reasons why i was bothered he was definitely one of my favorites 
coming out of that first season that I was hoping he was going to stick around because he had so much to give. Uh, Leonard Roberts is in other shows right now. Um, you should definitely check out his body of work. I hope he gets more attention because of this. Uh, and certainly to tie back into the Ray Fisher thing, uh, Ray Fisher and him both kind of uh, shared across the social media that supports Ray Fisher saying like, you know, he saw, he read the essay and he was super thankful for it. He's, you know, pr praising Leonard Roberts speaking up and Leonard Roberts praising back for Ray Fisher speaking up. And um, I think that I think that is an important optic to help us right now is that Ray Fisher hasn't necessarily and, it, you know, like this isn't a slight on him at all. But like Leonard Roberts clearly had uh, a, a moment where he felt like all of this overtaken. He wanted to express it. He was able to write this all out. Ray Fisher might not be in that kind of place, but Ray Fisher might have this much of an articulated story to tell, which would help us to understand exactly what he's talking about, where he's coming from. And he just hasn't been able to get there yet. And I hope he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. The video game industry had some wild things happen. <clears throat> week. Mm, uh, yes, it did. For example, Vin Diesel is now uh, has joined um, Studio Wildcard as a, the president of Creative Convergence. For what is that? He's what working on Arc Two in the Arc animated series. Oh my god, that that sounds like a made up title because like they just want to work with Vin. Creative <laughs> Convergence. Yeah. yeah, that just sounds like I want to walk by and just tell you what to do a little bit, and then you don't actually do it. <laughs> yeah. Or just walking around saying, oh, I'm this, and maybe get a paycheck or something. I don't know. That dude's a multi-supermillionaire. It's not like he needs oh, no. video game developers. He doesn't no money. Need the mo yeah, he doesn't need the money. I don't think it's necessarily for a paycheck. I it's think not. it's more to like get him into like the, the meetings about it. And like, well, we oh, ought to have hit our, our creative convergence executive man here. What do you think, Vin? He's come in and he's got to be like, I like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, watch his first meeting. He's like, so it's all about family, right? <laughs> yes. I don't know what well, accent I was going there. That I saw the the trailer for for the for the Ark game. Definitely, there was some family vibes there. Yeah. I mean, um, in the first Ark game, it's all about surviving with your friends, so it is found family. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that's the, that is the thing. It's all just like <laughs> this one's all about friendship. It's gonna be my. <laughs> My two yeah. ethos friends, <laughs> family, and then I'll make a friends, family, and Riddick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, Super Nintendo Land. You guys want to talk about that? That had yes, first look this this uh, this week. Yes, it did. Uh, Nintendo normally puts out directs mm -hmm. about their games and about indie games, but this one was different. It's all about the theme park that's opening up at Universal Japan on February 4th of 2021. It was supposed to have opened up summer of this year in honor of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, but we all know what happened and that was COVID. What happened? It was the coronavirus. The Olympics got canceled. Somebody wished for more time. Yeah, some, and someone got more time. And the monkey's paw went, okay. <laughs> For for that joke, listen to our watch our uh, uh, holiday annual this year. Pretty much is like like say this is like everyone like everyone like this is the monkey's paw. I was like, hey, well, like the guy who needed more time, like hey, I need more time. Okay, yeah, okay, anyway. yeah. So Shigeru Miyamoto himself took us on a um, a virtual tour of Super Nintendo World at in uh, Universal Studios Japan in Osaka. My God. It looks great. You will, to get into the land itself, you go through a warp pipe. Um, there's this really cute uh, uh, Toad's Kitchen restaurant. There, um, you actually see the character, the mascot characters, like 
uh, Mario and Luigi, what they what the costume characters look like. They blink. Do you hear them say hi, hello? No joke. When I was watching, I watched the, some clips of it online. I didn't see the whole thing. Uh, uh-huh. I thought it was a digital rendering of the land. I didn't yeah. know it was the land. I'm like, what? It yeah, looks well, like that. One of the one of the things that just super gets me excited about this is how interactive the land is going to be because you're it's because you've all been to uh, except for ryan we three of us have been to walt disney world and we know about the magic bands nope you never been to walt disney world nope oh okay one of us has been to walt disney world please ben enlighten all of us please tell us us. it just had to brag it had to open up that wound sorry i'm sorry i I forgot. I, don't I live a life of privilege where friends worked in cast members and took me on trips to Walt Disney World and uh, my friend's mom paid for everything. Listen, I'm happy for you, Ben. Please tell me about the, those super bands. Yeah. So those uh, super bands are kind of like uh, magic bands at Disney at Walt Disney World where you can interact with, like, except whereas the ones at Walt Disney World, those it's just your ticket. You could possibly have your credit card on, on it. These actually do stuff in the land. And they have there's an app for your phone that transfers data over to it. Like if you see a question block, you can you literally punch a block with the hand the band is on. It'll Man. make a sound effect, and a coin will add to your app on the phone. It's it's taking the the Harry Potter Universal stuff with the wand, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 I'm assuming you're gonna get the band for free. I'm assuming you're not gonna have to buy it, right? Because like you buy the wands for all that extra stuff, but here you'll definitely have to buy the band. But I imagine the band is going to be more like a ten dollar thing. Yeah, it'll probably be cheaper. Yeah. But like, it's taking that interactive stuff to the next level and like yeah. making, making it actually like games, and, and it's amazing. Yeah, and it's it's not just like oh, you can get blocks and coins. There's actually little keys that are spread throughout the land. That there's these little uh, um, like Miyamoto called them activities, where there's like a Koopa Trooper just walking across, and you have to. And there's um, a pow, like three pow blocks, and a turtle shell is just going back and forth. You have to time it right so if the turtle shell can hit the Koopa, the Koopa Trooper, and you get the the key, get three it's keys, the- and you get to have a final battle with Bowser Jr. I assume on your phone. Uh, it's it feels like like um, like carnival games. It kind um, of does. Uh, some some mess. Some dude wearing a Bowser Jr. suit comes out and starts beating the shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if no, I do. I do assume that the Bowser Junior thing is another activity based thing, mm-hmm. like, the bo- uh, like that, the big that you have to have the three keys in your scan thing to scan open yeah. the gate or that I takes was, the I would assume so. It, what's would... really cool about it is like, yeah, like they are making it like it. It is mm-hmm. a, a theme park. You can do all the theme park things. You know, buy lots of overpriced food. You know, wait in line for rides. But they're making you do activities along the way, and it's like mm-hmm. it feels like it's like it actually is like a, like a little like switch world, and like it's like yeah. obviously very easy and very like mundane stuff but like it seems really cool especially for kids like punching blocks that's like that's the well, and, the, and the best thing about it is that like uh watching it uh when he was standing next to the block the first time and explaining it and i'm like okay cool he's gonna put his hand under like and scan the thing no nope. under it and uh no he just bam and i'm like yeah that's the all right okay yeah, that's, that's what you're supposed to do that's that's because this is what mario does when he jumps in the game he's punching blocks that's yeah. how he gets. That's how you get the coins and the power up. He punches the blocks. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's really impressive. They definitely spent the money on it. Um, yeah, and it, it's not just question blocks either. Like when um, in the video when Miyamoto goes into the underground level, there's just a regular block. He's like, I want to see if I can punch it. He punched it, and you get a coin because just like in the original games, not 
it's you can break other certain blocks, not just question blocks. And the attention to detail from what I could see is one for one. It is glorious. Like when you first walk out of the warp pipe, you're in Peach's castle, the lobby of Peach's castle, and the song from Super Mario 64 is playing, and there's a damn painting on a side that someone on Twitter said, there's going to be people who are going to try and jump into that, and I'm probably going to be one of those people who's going to take a picture of me trying to jump through that because that is so freaking cool. They should they should absolutely have like a painting they can jump through that it's basically it's it's just like it's like like uh what is it like the confetti that or not confetti like like the strips that you basically walk through but it's like uh -huh. a paint ball bomb you can just walk through it yeah, yeah. I'd buy that I'd go yeah I mean they we didn't see everything because even me and was like oh I'm not gonna show you everything yet because we want to surprise you I'm like what I'm seeing so far just makes me excited and also I'm like cool because we're also gonna get one in the United States we're getting two in the United States we're getting it at both parks here in California and also one in Orlando eventually and, and keyword there being eventually and Singapore and the other Universal Studios in Singapore is getting one as well because they know COVID-19 that we don't know how things are but just looking at it goes man that looks freaking rad it looks it, cool it's cool that it's like finally happening yeah and it looks yeah it looks really cool it does um Okay, nothing really else happened in the video game community, so we'll just move on to the... No, I'm sorry. I gotta make this stuff interesting for myself sometimes. Cyberpunk 2077 was in the news a lot this week. Yes, it was! Yeah, the last two weeks have been a, a, a truly devastating move for a company in the worst possible ways you can think of. Yeah, so... It was removed... Real quickly, Ben. It was removed from the PlayStation Store this week. It was. Uh, refunds it, are being offered. It being Cyberpunk 2077. Yes. I don't know if you said that. That's yeah. No, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So let me give you a hold on. We got the breakdown before that is the game came out, and unless you had a a two thousand dollar PC, you cannot run the game well. If you have a PS5, that game runs okay. It's still buggy as hell. It's still almost unplayable. You guys should see some of these videos on base PS4s and Xbox. Watching them, they are they are they look. It looks like a PS2 game at some points. It is it is astronomically bad. And for a company that uh, that almost all of the all of the pre-orders were for last gen consoles, for them to to do this to their to their their fan base, it's it's really kind of messed up. It's kind of messed up, and it's messed up because it's not the developer's fault. It is not the developer's fault. It's everyone upstairs who have to have to cater to stock markets and like things have to come out on time. And like, why does this happen to this company? But like, uh, Last of Us <laughs> take as long as it wants, and and Red Dead Redemption. It's like, I don't know why that had to happen well, to this company. Man. Well, the game was announced in 2012, so I'm sure like the fact that it was announced so late, so early, like they were like, let's okay, let's go, come on. So here's the, yes, that is part of it. The thing is, they announced it in 2012. They did not start working on it until 2016. They did not start working on it until The Witcher 3 was done. <laughs> uh, uh, Witcher Story says, wasn't easy to pass Mass Effect Andromeda for the worst release of the last decade, but they blew past that. Perfection yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, oh. Yeah, um, Fallout 76 had an almost equally as bad um, uh, uh, release. Launch, launch yeah. Um, but man, yeah, the... Uh, the the thing the thing that is so I think I think what made sorry I didn't mean to cut you off no yeah your thing. Uh, the the thing that is that is so bonkers about this is that The Witcher Three is is one of the greatest games of all time and 
that the CD Projekt Red was was so legendary for for when the game came out in in the disc thing. They had a thing that like a like a, a little message to their fans, like, "Hey guys, all the DLC is going to be free. Thank you so much for buying this. We think sixty dollars is all you ever need to spend on the game. We are going to release expansions, but you don't need to buy them, right?" And then they, for literally like two years, they released so much free shit for that game. They rebalanced the game. They made the combat better. They redid the tutorial. Um, that's what they're going to do for Cyberpunk 2. But the thing is, they got the game right when the game was launched. Um, so for the last like five years, that game, CD Projekt Red is like the best video game developer. And then to see see this happen, uh, where yeah, the game gets pulled from the store because it is it is so bad that Sony doesn't want to give it to their give it to their customers. Um, there are clash action lawsuits possibly happening against this company. The developers are like writing at the studio themselves, like they feel like they've been bamboozled. Um, one of the reasons this game had to come out this year is because of bonuses and like Metacritic had to get a score of 90. So that's why they only gave video game critics who had the best PCs, the reviews. That's why IGN gave it a nine out of 10 because they were playing on the best PC they could possibly play on. And then they subsequently gave it a four out of 10 on the PS4 version. Right. And they're saying, do not buy this game. Right. Um, that's, that's, uh, that's the thing is that's so wild about it. I think why this game is getting like such a big backlash is yeah. because it, it came out at a time when we were in a, in a console generation shift mm -hmm. and there are people who are playing it on playstation 5 and xbox uh series x and they're having an easier time it's not perfect <laughs> but it's easier yeah uh and then there's the people who get it on the last generation consoles playstation 4 xbox one or xbox one x or whatever and uh and it's just unplayable and it's wild it is wild that they that they just let let that happen and they, they, they just let that blind spot completely they did not, exist. They did not show footage of the last gen consoles. Not they never showed it once, and and it, they purposely did that. And that is deceitful because yeah. if they showed what that game looked like, nobody would have bought. Nobody would have bought it on the last gen consoles, and that could have been like its own thing. Like, yeah, you have to have a next gen console to play it. And Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven would have been the first exclusive to it, but it would have seriously minimized the backlash that they're seeing because of this. Cyberpunk has like it has the most uh, pre orders of like any game, like I think like in history, at least on PC. Um, and like even even the people who have nice PCs are having problems because like the. I respect the studio for pushing the boundaries and technology, but you have to make sure that your audience is there with you. You cannot release a game and expect that the 200 million consoles that are out there, you have to make them playable. The thing, the fact that that they're focusing on the PS5, which even can't run it well even then, is just it's 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 so backwards to me. Considering The Witcher 3 played well on everything, The Witcher 3 is on the Switch. Yeah, they, like, uh, didn't they say? Didn't they say in the in the in an article that? Uh, they said the game was finished in January, but it wasn't. No, they uh, lied. I don't think that any audience, that any person who was going to buy that game would have cared if they delayed it again. No, no. We've been waiting for this like is, two years of delays anyway. This is uh, this is something Ryan and I have talked a lot about, uh, especially when it comes to the AAA games. Is like I, I will always prefer that you just stop announcing things so early where people get so anticipatory and your your investors get so anticipatory about its release that they force you to push mm -hmm. it out that you force that crunch on the workers just make the game announce it when it's going to be ready when it's actually going to be ready when you are like 90 percent through your production mm -hmm. cycle and then release it because if the work is good the work will speak for itself Absolutely. but when it's but when it's shoved out like this and there are issues and this happens in video games all the time yeah. uh with big titles it it sucks nobody likes buying 
for such expensive prices these games that don't work right it's it's insane mm -hmm. to still be doing this model. this year specifically we've had avengers and we, there's other games that i don't play like a lot of multiplayer games have just come out broken and it's like when is when like when are we gonna when's the when are the people upstairs gonna realize like it's better just to wait instead of release something shitty yeah everybody is always going to be more okay with delayed games for a better product yeah you know game oh. games do not work the way that movies do uh they are improved over time yeah i can and name two games no three games actually that were delayed that that came out this year that were delayed mm -hmm. final fantasy doom eternal and animal crossing new horizons all three of those games were delayed why they need more time they also and also they straight up says like look we're gonna try and make it but we want to make this game the best it is what happened to those three games they're the best selling games of the year some yeah. of the best um given games or not the best given best <clears throat> received best reviewed so many people love those games yeah all uh, three of them were huge were, were all huge hits throughout the year and they're great cyberpunk yeah cool this i mean delay okay i can live with delays i'm fine with delays I'd rather have a game be delayed and enjoy what's great than have it come out and it be a piece of shit. I'm yeah. fine with delays for movies too. Okay. Yeah. I, I, How many times have we mentioned the Miyamoto quote where, where a delayed game has the potential to be great, but a bad game will always be a bad game. I, I mean that, that, yeah, when he said that it was back during the days of cartridges when you couldn't patch things and make it like do a no man's guy. God off a launch, kick ass game. Now 76 got off a launch. Kick -ass still, game now. It's still no excuse, though, because up until the generation of being online, all of the games we used to get came out, and they were fine the way they were, and they didn't need uh, patches or updates. Yeah, like, yeah. this over-reliance this over -reliance on patches as part of the problem. Absolutely. Where, like, mm -hmm. it, it's okay to do patches to, like, rebalance a game or, or update a game or add new elements to a game. That's kind of one thing. To fix a game through patches is not the logic that we should be moving forward, certainly not with AAA titles. And I'm just, I'm just so bummed because <laughs> Cyberpunk was my most anticipated game for... Yeah. Forever, like this. This game looked to be like the, the like the RPG of my dreams, and it still probably will be. But it's going to be five years. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna play that game until I get a PS5 or like, a better PC. And to, to elaborate a little bit, what Sparks said, uh, when Kingdom Hearts three first came out last year, it did not have a critical mode. Fans weren't really happy about that. The game is it, the game's still good, but they're pissed off because like hardcore fans like give me a critical mode. I wanted to get my ass kicked. And then a few months later, here's a little patch. There's critical mode. Get right. Ready. Like, well, but like I, the whole game, I, I know what Ben's saying. Like the whole game before that, though, wasn't broken. And that's the thing is no, like, it, you're, you're adding a new element to the game. That's one thing. If you are repairing something that is obviously broken, that's a problem. That's not something you should be relying on. May I chime in real quick on, on this? Absolutely. Uh, God of War. Uh, I was came out. God of War came out. It's a great game. First, first try, right? Out, great game right out of the gate. The only thing they patched is they added new game plus. Uh, I'll, I'll even throw up uh, Insomniac Spider-Man with that as well. They had a new yeah. game plus and stuff. They had out. a new game yeah. plus later, but like that game worked when it came out. It played great. Uh, that was the thing is like, I, I and if you had told me for either of those games, like three, two months away from when it's supposed to release. Hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to delay the game because it's not, not good enough. Like, here's the thing. I, as much as I don't have faith in the new Halo right now, I'm glad they're delaying it. Like, I'm glad. I'm glad that they are clearly at least trying to find a way to make a good Halo game. Yeah. Uh, even if it won't ultimately work, I hope it does. I don't wish for their failure. I want them to get me back into it. Um, and them being willing to delay it like that at least tells me they give a shit. Oh, my God, dude. Halo was supposed to be out, um, like, two months it ago. Was, it was supposed to be Xbox Series. It was supposed to be a, a launch yeah, for the... 
and it was fully delayed an entire year. Yeah. What was that game going to be if it came out? Would it have been a cyberpunk? And that would have been the Halo franchise? Like, no no wonder Xbox did, like, delayed it. Like, like oh genuinely, God. I'm more encouraged by them saying, you know what, that was going to be a launch title, but we decided we need to delay it a year. Yeah. Because that tells me they at least care enough to be like, we're not going to make you buy something we know is broken. We're going to try and make a good game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I get it. Getting, delaying a game, it's a bummer. It sucks. Was I bummed when the games I was looking forward to, like Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy, were delayed? Yeah. But I can get over that because I don't know why. Because Eventually the game will come out. and it'll Yeah, be- the game will come yeah. out. And when it comes out, it's going to be great. I don't understand because when people yeah. heard about the first or well, the latest delay for Cyberpunk before it was eventually released and the studio got a whole lot of death threats, it just churned my stomach because like, how dare you threaten people's lives because a game you want to play isn't finished yet it's kind of it's kind of like what people do what people used to do i think this is kind of changing but when the film announced that we're going for reshoots like oh every film does that oh yeah that's that was like yeah like literally every movie goes back for like pickups and stuff yeah yeah um the thing like the thing that really bums me out the most is that like cd project red is like such a talented developer and there are so many people that just spent years of their life working on this game for it to come out and just to get totally shit on and people are going to forget this game immediately and what would have been a seminal moment in gaming history is now like a defining moment in like bad gaming history and like those developers spend the next year fixing a game people don't even want anymore and that just i i it breaks my heart man it's really sad and the the most optimistic outcome i can see from this is that i really hope this is the thing that changes the triple a uh trend of announcing too early of pushing it out too early of doing the crunch on your workers don't do it take your time release a good product it is not worth all the bullshit that we're seeing right now 100 i really hope that happens because cg project red especially with witcher 3 they were one of the titans of the triple a of the triple a developers and they were always like before this game came out they were seen as the golden child they could it's like they could do no wrong it's like look how great cg project red has done with the witcher and all and other games that they put out well of course butcher being their biggest one and then when cyberpunk this ambitious project was announced it's like oh yeah it's cg project red they'll they'll be fine i feel i am scared that cg project red or with cyberpunk 2077 is going to go the way of no Man's sky whereas people will still play it but it's not going to be the hype that it once was the hype and the fall are too hard that will never recover not to say that no Man's sky hasn't recovered it's still people millions of players are still playing that game, game of the year award bro <laughs> exactly it won a game of the year so that game is still being played, which is good, but it's not in a spotlight like when it was before it came out. And because the backlash after it was released, the damage was done. Yeah, no, the damage absolutely was done for that game. And like it has had a return with fans like like me. But yeah, once some people refuse to go back to the game, which is 100% fair. Totally fair. All right. Um, moving on? Yes. Moving on up. Comics. There's a lot of comic book news this week. Uh, real quickly, IDW Comics announced a new book that is actually already out. You can buy it. Um, but they published a book called Invisible Men, the Trailblazing Black Artists of Comic Books, which is a uh, book written by Ken Quattro, uh, um, who spent two decades researching uh, black comic book artists, writers, uh, people who have been forgotten by history, who didn't get the notoriety of like a Stanley or, or a Schuster and Siegel um people who were absolutely there uh trailblazing 
and wrote a book about them. Um, as I said, it's out now. Uh, yeah, we'll have uh, reprinted materials from these black from these black creators, as well as new works that they've done. Uh, the people that are alive, they've done new works for the book, um, and they'll have like pictures, behind the scenes pictures of them working DC, Marvel, IDW, places like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Marvel Comics had some new announcements. For example, Avengers Curse of the Man-Thing. Yeah, boy. The new Man-Thing uh, story that's going to be a three-part story written by Steve Orlando with, <gasps> art, by, <laughs> with art by Francesco Mobili. Um, each issue will focus on a different corner of the Marvel Universe. Um, and then the... Do you want to read the description of it? Yeah, you okay. do. Steve Orlando's dope. Yes, I'm excited for this. Um, for decades, the Man-Thing has haunted the Florida uh, Everglades. Now a new enemy has hijacked his body on a quest to take his uh, incendiary abilities global. The Marvel Universe wakes to fear as gargantuan monoliths uh, menace citizens worldwide, with only the Avengers standing between the population of Earth and a planet-wide inferno. Can they save Man-Thing in time to douse the fires? And does the man inside the thing, Ted Salas, even want to be saved? All this plus a sensation... Uh, sorry, plus, uh, plus a sensational new villain designed by Marvel's Stormbreaker Carmen Carnero await readers in the exciting opening tale that will kick off an unforgettable journey for Man-Thing and your favorite Marvel heroes, including the X-Men, Spider-Man, and more. Nice. Yeah. Man-Thing... Uh... So uh, as you guys know, I'm a Swamp Thing fan. So I, I I chose my thing, and I kind of I kind of avoided a lot of Man Thing. Um, but he does show up in a lot of Marvel stuff. So I do I know of him. He's a he's a like multi dimensional teleporter. Uh, but he also is like a Swamp Thing. But he doesn't have like elemental powers. Uh, he's just an ugly monster. Um, he communicates telepathically, and he sometimes he's really cool, and sometimes he's really stupid. Uh, R.L. Stein apparently wrote a really terrible uh, Man Thing comic like two years ago. Uh, I saw that, and, I, yeah. and then I heard nothing of it. And I was like, yeah. "Oh!" Uh, I watched it like I a remember, No, I remember when we talked about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Apparently, it's bad. Um, Steve Orlando is now like like a Marvel like exclusive writer, like, and he had he had like made like an announcement post, and he's like, "I'm making mine Marvel baby," and I'm like, "Yeah, come on over, we love you." Because DC wouldn't have him. No, because they're stupid. Agreed. <laughs> uh, Beta Ray Bill is getting a new comic book. Sweet. Uh, by Written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson, who did uh, Wonder Woman Dead Days, the Black Label book. For yes, DC. and Murder Falcon. Oh, I have that on my shelf. Hell yeah. he's yes. He is a sensational artist. He has such energy, and he, he, he draws such good action. This is, this is great. Beta Ray Bill is tired of playing second fiddle to Thor, and with Beta Ray's famous hammer Stormbreaker recently destroyed at the new All-Father's Hands, tensions are higher than ever. The mighty Carb uh, Corbinite must strike out in search of a new weapon and a new destiny, assuming he can first defeat a nullified null, um, Fin Fang Foom. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big ass epic fight book. I'm I'm very excited. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to that one as well because uh, he I really liked him in Thor, so I'm interested in following him where he goes. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. And then the new the America Chavez made in made in the USA book has gotten a new release date. It was supposed to be out in July. Oh wow! Um, but the pandemic delayed it indefinitely. But now that America Chavez is showing it up showing up in Doctor Strange, they're like, "Hey, we're doing this again. Coming out in March." 
Um, America Chavez made in the USA, written by uh, Kalinda Vasquez with art by Carlos Gomez. Um, they will reveal more about her powers and origins is all we know about it. Yo, guys, that's a lady who punches stars and is also a multidimensional teleporter. Her and Man-Thing should team up, actually. They have the same power. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I really liked her in Ultimates. Yeah. She was great in that book. She's cool. Okay, so the big news was that DC Comics released their uh, March initiative, what they're doing after Future State. Um, they kind of like named it, and they released their solicitations. Um, for those of you who don't know, comic book uh, companies release solicitations two months in advance uh, for retailers to know what they want to pick up for their shelves and things like that. The The thing that was interesting about this solicitation was that there were only 36 books. Uh, so they've lowered the line considerably with a lot of anthologies, which was surprising. Um, and, uh, but they did say that more will be coming. So there's that. Uh, and as I mentioned to you guys, so we recorded before this. In so the after future. This, in the future. <laughs> Uh, DC has raised their prices of many of their big tier books, like the big, like the Batman's, the Justice League's, the Superman's, to four ninety nine because they're upping the page count uh, and adding backup stories to all of them. What sucks is I won't go into it too much because I'll talk about it more. But like I'm excited about all these backups. I'd rather those backups just be comics. One million but percent. But they're just making them like ten page backup stories, and I got to pay a dollar extra for a regular comic. Uh, right? Also, on top of that, um, and I mean like this is just variance, but uh, is somewhere along the line, and it was not immediate, but it was somewhere along the line. I noticed that the glossy variants that they do, yeah. they started going up a dollar. That's why I stopped buying them. They they stopped being three ninety nine. They are now four ninety nine most of the time. Yep. Uh, if you look closely enough, and uh, sometimes that's fine because it's like, well, the art on that is okay. But then sometimes the art on that is gorgeous. Just the Wonder Woman ones particular Ooh. have been very, very good. Oh, yeah. um, but they are $4.99 now, which means they're probably going to be $5.99 now. Mm. Um, I'm out. I'm going digital only, Marvel this, Unlimited. <laughs> this is the worst time to do price hike on comics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We are trying to get people into not a relaunch necessarily, but like a new direction for the DC Comics characters. You are trying to get back a reader base that has been suffering through a pandemic. Uh, this is a terrible time to do a price hike. Yes, agreed. Awful. We've Awful. talked about it. We've talked about it before, just in general. Uh, the, the four of us are kind of like, if like nothing changes, I might have to drop comics altogether. Yeah, uh, that's why, like for real, like Marvel Unlimited, like if I have to drop comics soon, uh, I only have to wait three months to get my new comic, which is unfounded. I that is such a good deal. Ten bucks to get all my new comics in three months, like. There is a slight silver lining, I'm, which I'm sucks. Very likely to be getting Marvel Unlimited for this next year because uh, changes will have to be made yeah. uh, for the foreseeable future. And also because I'm like, I like getting the singular issues, but a lot of these, especially ones I really enjoy, I will end up wanting the trades. So I'm like, I should, I should be economically responsible in the moment for what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and I need to do that. Um, but this is uh, this is awful because I want to support so many things that are happening at DC right now. I at least want to give them the chance to let them know I'm interested in this particular thing they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they're making it really hard. Yeah. So um, let's just get into what, some of the big stuff that they announced. Uh, this I didn't put everything because uh, there were just some things that I, I don't think any of us are interested in. Yeah. Um, but so there's some of the big stuff. Uh, Infinite Frontier will launch the series. So the new initiative is called Infinite Frontier. Um, it'll be the next, the next 
chapter in the DC universe, and then we'll launch with Infinite Frontier Zero, which is going to be a one-shot, a 64-page one-shot, with Joshua Williamson writing the beginning and the end, the epilogue and the prologue. Um, so he's kind of shepherding the story of what this Infinite Frontier is going to be, much like Jeff Johns shepherded Rebirth, or Scott mm-hmm. Snyder shepherded after Death Metal. Like that. Uh, I think Williamson is a pretty good choice for that. Me he's too. Not, he's not like my immediate, like, that guy, but I, I think he's got a good hand for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to set up the next year of stories featuring work by creators, including Scott Snyder, Jeff Johns, Becky Cloonan, James Tinian, the fourth, Joel Jones, uh, Aletha Martana, Mar- Martinez, John Romita Jr. And many more. So those are all, uh, I mean, Becky Cloonan's dope. Those are a lot of familiar names. I really like the infinite frontier idea. Yeah. Uh, that, that is a nice conceptualization. Um, it, it implies a lot of, what you love classically about DC, but also an, an infinity of new. Uh, and I really appreciate that. This sounds like a good good umbrella ideas happening over there. Yeah. If you look at the cover, there's a lot of characters that have been missing, like like Alan Scott's kids, Obsidian and Jade are on there. And also the new Batman um, and the new, the future state Batman, the future state Wonder, Wonder, Wonder Woman. Like they're all there. Um, so it's clearly like these characters that we're introducing in, in Future State are not going anywhere. They're going to be incorporated into whatever this next thing is. And much like what Rebirth, uh, Universe, DC Universe Rebirth, Infinite Frontier, the stories written by the, the people who have books coming out, like the Becky Clunans and the James Tinians, those stories will be uh, directly uh, leading into the sto- to their books. So, mm-hmm. right. Which is what that makes sense. Um. Joker is getting a second title. Uh, if you remember, Joker had a third, uh, had a title earlier in uh, the decades, like the eighties or something. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> writer James Tinian the Fourth is going to be shepherding a new Joker, um, a new Joker series, ongoing series with Gilliam, uh, with Gilliam, yeah, Gilliam, Gilliam March. Um, this are. is. I'm not going to read the whole solicitation, but it's basically like Joker's on the run. He's missing an eye and commissioner Gordon's like, I'm retiring. But the one thing I'm going to do before I retire is get, is get Joker. So, so, so I hate, I hate that this book is called Joker because Joker is not the main character of the book. This is a James Gordon GCPD book that they're not allowed to call GCPD. And because that's like, what is, that's what, if you look at the pages and you look at like the, the, the synopsis or the, sorry, the interviews with James Sidian, it's about Gordon and Joker is more like a boogeyman in the background. He is like, he is the villain, but he is not center stage as much yeah. as Gordon is. I just, uh, I wish they just kid didn't call it Joker. And cause like, it's, it's, they're, they're tricking their audience is what they're yeah. doing. That, and that's um, kind of better for Joker fans in a way. Yeah. Like a lot of the, like a lot of the infinite frontier books, uh, it'll have a backup story. James TV and Sam Johns will write a story with Mark, with Mirka and Dolfo, which will be focused on, I hate this new format for this thing. Um, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, a punchline. It's gonna be about bun- punchline. The new. So she's gonna have her own comic and a, and a side comic now. Wow, she's getting wow. Love it. No, she's 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 only gotten a one shot and a backup story. Oh, I thought that one shot was a series. Okay, sorry. No. Okay. Um, okay. Batman: Urban Legends is a new anthology book coming from DC. Uh, there's a lot of anthology. Uh, this one will have will be. The first six issues will have a story by Chip Zdarsky and Eddie Barrows. It's beautiful. Which is going to be a Red Hood and Batman story beautiful very excited for that one actually honestly that one is the one that one that story is like eh, i might buy that for that story if i could i love chip chip doesn't he, he hasn't done me wrong yet 
Matthew Rosenberg and Ryan Benjamin will also write a story, um, which will be continuing from his future state grifter story. He'll be writing grifter again. Um, Stephanie Phillips and Laura Braga will be setting up their Harley Quinn story, which is going to be about Harley Quinn's relationship with Poison Ivy. I didn't know that. That sounds rad. I'm totally picking up that Harley Quinn book. Say that yeah. one more time, please. They're going to finally explore the relationship with Poison Ivy, like the lesbian relationship with Poison Ivy. Stephanie Phillips is a... Is it's a, only been a decade cool. too long. Yeah. I know, right? Damn. I'm very excited for that. Um, and well, then, like because more. the relationship in the show Harley Quinn... Be, no, no, that's probably as well. No, I'm honestly, I'm sure that's it. I'm sure they saw how well that was received and were like, oh, uh, why haven't we been doing this yet? Because yeah. they're cowards. This the, the book that she's doing feels like a, like a toned down version of that show, like not so hardcore, but it is still her dealing with being an anti-hero or maybe being a villain and her relationship with Poison Ivy. And I'm like, that's what Harley Quinn should have been. Yeah. Finally here, Brandon. We're going to pick up a Harley book. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Superman Red and Blue. There's another anthology coming from DC Comics, which will be much like the Batman Black and White. It'll be all red and blue. Hmm. Um, the first what story. I, what? Like the colors are red. Like the colors will only colors we'll see will be red and blue. It's not about Superman red and Superman blue, right? No, it is about Superman. It's uh, as a, as an anthology book about Superman with the only two colors being red and blue. Gotcha. Okay. Um, it's going to be a new six-issue DC miniseries presenting fresh new version, visions of the Man of Steel, featuring an incredible uh, slate of comics, most exciting and innovative storytellers creating comics paired back to Superman's two signature colors, red and blue. John Ridley, who is wrote, writing the Future State Batman title and is, uh, the, the other history of the DC Universe and an Academy Award winner, um, will be writing a Superman story with Clayton Henry which will tell a story of Clark Kent as he confronts a villain who still haunts him in a story that shows what Superman can mean to a whole country. That sounds cool. Ooh, I love it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it does sound awesome. Uh, both of these anthologies are miniseries, uh, and those are both beautiful trades I will one day own. Oh, yeah. yeah Brandon I'll, Easton. I'll definitely trade weight for a Superman one, that's for sure. Uh, Brandon Easton with uh, art by Steve Lieber. Well, uh, sorry, Urban Ur Urban Legends doesn't say it's a miniseries. It just... It, it could potentially be an ongoing for as long as they can keep it going. Oh, so Superman gets a mini, but Batman gets an ongoing. No, I see. I, I see you, DC. Okay. That is how they operate. All right. I see you. Right. Um, Brandon Eastern takes readers to streets of Metropolis to show how one hero can mean so much to an individual uh, in pain. Hell yeah. Yeah, baby. What, writer artist Wes Craig from Deadly Class, the artist of Deadly Class, oh, so will be telling a story, uh, tells a tale of Superman. Uh, Superman's early days and the man who inspired him to become the hero he is today. Mm. Marguerite Bennett with artist Jill Thompson gives us a tale of teenage Clark Kent. Dan Waters and Danny, artist Danny, uh, bring us an outlandish fable about what happens when all colors are stolen. Ooh. Ooh. Dan Waters just did, he's a homesick pilot uh, writer, so that's going to be cool. great. Um, I, I like the anthology format a lot. I really like them, you know, the digital ones like of the Dark Knight or um, they had uh, they had a Superman one for a while that Orson Scott Card was supposed to write for, but they canceled his story. Um, I really like those anthologies. I always come away wishing that some of the that those people writing the anthologies would write the ongoing books. So yeah, yeah, I feel you. Um, Superman and Action Comics are getting a new creative team. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis has left the title. We'll we'll be leaving the title uh, as we knew, but Philip Kennedy Johnson. We'll be taking over the title from here on out. We'll be Superman and Action Comics. Both of them 
writing concurrently. Um, the first issue of both those runs will be will be drawn by Phil Hester on Superman and Eric uh, Gapster on uh, action. Oh, Phil Hester is oh, oh that's that's we're gift we're blessed we're blessed with Black Bear. <laughs> um, it's going to start a a a story Superman and action comics. Those first two issues will be called the Golden Age. It'll be a two part arc, two part story um, with just those with just those artists. I can't I. The way the way Google Drive has formatted itself on my tablet lately, I literally cannot read what I wrote here. So Can I you can't turn read the tablet sideways to make it different. Ooh, yeah. Let's see. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't think about that. Because that's what on my phone I can't read it because it's literally like one letter down at a time. Yeah. So I have to sideways. Yeah. All right, there we go. So part one in Superman, this is Superman and Superman. Jonathan Kent is back from the 31st century and fighting cosmic threats alongside his legendary father. But when an interdimensional breach opens near Earth, John recognizes the creatures that emerge, the cosmic leviathans that the Legion of Superheroes credit with the death of Superman. Oh, no. Oh, no. And then in action. Uh, as Superboy desperately tries to save Superman's life from the Leviathans of the Breach, Superman discovers the Breach's shocking origins. But with his powers mysteriously fading, as he uh, he is utterly outmatched, can Superboy change the course of history and save his father's life? Don't miss this prelude to DC's massive Superman event. I don't like that Bendis has created a now ongoing policy that the one person writing one Superman comic should be writing action comics. I don't like and it. And vice versa. Not a fan. Uh, don't love that. Especially because like Batman doesn't do it. The same per James Tanian is not writing both Batman and Detective. Right. There's room for a different voice to be on one of those main titles. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, I think that's his name. Yeah. Uh, his past body work isn't very large and I haven't been super impressed with it. So it's it's a lot of people online are very interested why he was given the reins to superman because nothing besides the fact which i'll get into like about his personal political views uh just his body of work doesn't really hasn't shown anything to represent being the main guy on superman mm -hmm. uh because he wrote the last god which is a hardcore dark medieval book that has some really gross shit in it which is one reason i don't want him writing superman also he wrote a he wrote the captain america empire book which is good but it's very it was very rah rah the real heroes are the military at a time where i don't want to read that and that mm -hmm. dude is in the military and he's an active like military dude and he's a super republican and i'm just like his interview about the superman book was i he said i think i have a better perspective a different view on on america that i can bring to superman and that really really worries me hmm. that the way the way he worded it really worried me and i'm yeah. sure i'm sure it could be great like this is me bringing a lot to it um but like of all the people to get to get picked for Superman. This isn't who I would pick. And I don't think it's who a lot of people expected. Yeah. I mean, we kind of figured it was going to happen because he's writing the uh, future state Superman and the people who've been writing the future state books are getting the ongoings. It does make sense. Yeah. Um, this book will also feature two backups. We talked about that the and then backups um, feature two backups called tales of Metropolis and Superman will be Sean Lewis with artists by Sammy Bass, Bass, Ray, Basri, which will follow Jimmy Olsen on a quest to meet some of the city's more colorful denizens, uh, beginning with Bibbo Bibowski. I like to oh. Bibbo Bibowski. And then Becky Cloonan and Michael W. Conrad, the creative team behind one, the new Wonder Woman series, uh, with Michael Avon Oming, 
to continue the Midnighter story that Clunan and Conrad started in a future state, but in the DC universe ready for, but is the DC universe ready for Trojan Industries? So it's a Midnighter story. That sounds more interesting than the main stuff. <laughs> and that's not even it. So uh, after that, Philip Kennedy Johnson will be joined by, by artist Scott uh, Godlewski on Superman and Daniel Samp Sampier on action. Uh, and he will continue those. He will continue writing both those titles with those artists until he reunites with his future state, Superman Worlds of War co-creator Mikhail Janin on Ooh. a special Superman project still to be announced. Mikhail Janin is is uh, you read some of his work, or you you saw some of his work in in Tom King's Batman. He's a Batman collaborator mm -hmm. or Tom King collaborator. Um, Mikhail Janin is is a, a fierce, fierce, awesome artist. So like anything he does, I want to follow. Um, and his Superman, like the image we saw of like the war Superman or whatever for Future State, looks amazing. Yeah. Um, like Gladiator Superman. Um, so like I I can't I can't totally bash it until I read it, but like it doesn't totally get me excited for this new Superman direction. There's there's nothing here that I'm looking at going like, oh, this is I I can return to Superman and be happy. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'm I'll wait, I'll wait to see what happens. Yeah, I definitely feel like we're heading into another era where I'm like, well, I'm not reading Superman right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sensational Wonder Woman will be a new anthology story uh, following Wonder Woman. The first volume, the first issue will be out digitally in January and then physically in March. Um, they've already solicited it. Stephanie Phillips and Megan uh, Hetrick are writing the first issue, um, which will pit Diana against the evil Dr. Psycho during a battle with the villain. Wonder Woman sacrifices herself to stop him. The impact uh, from a psychic blast trapping her in an alternate reality with the help of Guest star Hawk Girl, uh, Diana must remember who she is before it's too late. Okay. Yeah. Uh, future digital print arcs will spotlight Diana teaming up with other allies from the Wonder Woman mythos, such as Cheetah, Steve Trevor, Hippolyta, Wonder Girl, and others. The stories uh, come from a host of talented creators, including writer artists Colleen uh, Doran, Alyssa Wong, and Eleanor Carlini, uh, Mirka Andolfo, who I actually really like. I like that uh, artist, uh, Carino. Karina uh, Bechko and more yeah. come. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Hippolyta is getting a lot of. I think she's going to get a lot of play in this new DC season because she was like on the on like the main like like uh, like Wonder Woman image and she was like up in center with like a new design. I'm like, oh, she's on oh, the wow. Justice League. That's that's right. Wow, that's wild. That's you mean Hippolyta? Yeah. We'll get Hippolyta. there. Yeah. No, because the, the way you said it right now, I was like Hippolyta. I'm like, what? That's from Lovecraft oh, Country. Uh, then, Lovecraft Country. Then you didn't watch Lovecraft Country, and that's why. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you guys ready to read a Nightwing story? Yes. You don't even know, Brandon. <laughs> Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo will be reuniting for the Nightwing ongoing series. They're taking it over. Um, this is what the solicitation reads. Bloodhaven has elected a new mayor with the last name Zuko. Hmm? which can't be good for DC's first sidekick and former Robin, but is it good for Bloodhaven when Nightwing enlists Batgirl's help uh, investigating the politician bearing the same name as the man who murdered his parents? She unearths uh, details that will shock and fundamentally change the hero. I'm into it. I'm it's into going it. to be exploring Nightwing and Babs's relationship. I'm a, I, I love me some Dick Babs. What am I going to say? Um, Yo, Tom Taylor's dope. Like, I, we're all screaming, just please give him a main book. And, like, yo, it's not Batman, but Nightwing's just as good, if not better, if you ask me. Uh, so, like, I'm I'm 100% so excited for this book, you guys. Uh, 
guys. Oh my gosh. I Look, he went not- he went from suicide, he went from suicide squad to nightwing. He's on the right, he's on the right path. Let's just keep him going. Yeah, let's keep him going, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm really excited for this. Uh no one here is interested in the swamp thing, right? No, I've never heard of him. Oh, okay. Uh we'll pass it then. No, no, no. tattoo on his uh, left arm about him or anything like that. Swamp Thing is returning with Ram V. We knew about this. Ram V was writing a new Swamp Thing uh, title with art by Mike Perkins, but now we know what it's about. Maybe. Swamp Thing returns in a new 10-issue series. Uh, it's going to be season one, so hopefully you get a season two out of this. Uh-huh. Um, that start A series that stars Levi Kamei uh, as the next Guardian of the Green. Unable to control his transformation into the monstrous Swamp Thing, Levi is thrust into the harsh, unforgiving mystery of grisly murders committed by a supernatural desert legend. Levi must revisit past events in his homeland of India and face the deadly reality of a ravenous new villain in order to comprehend what he is truly and horrifyingly becoming. A new era... I thought you were done. Sorry, keep going. (laughs) No, sorry. Uh, A new era of global action and horror blossoms here and Swamp Thing will be at the root of it. Yeah, uh, I hope you guys are ready for DC's Immortal Hulk because that that's what this is. Yeah, um, this is this is the character returning to his super supernatural roots with a new character. This is first uh, Ramvi like posted on Twitter. This is dope. Uh, this is DC's first Indian male lead comic book with this new Swamp Thing. This is the first time they've had an Indian male lead. I'm like, are you really? It's been this. It's been this that's crazy. Um, that's fantastic. I love. We're all fans of Ramvi. I'm maybe getting a new Ramvi book for Christmas. I'll find out. Who knows? Um, I can't wait to read all of it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Swamp Thing. I can't believe it is only a season, but like, uh, I the hype behind it is real, and Ramvi is such a talent. Uh, I wouldn't the, be shocked if it gets. Yeah, it's the Grant Morrison model. The Green Lantern was uh, written as as two season arcs of twelve issues. Yeah. Yes. Um, so hopefully we. Hopefully this does sells well and we get a second season and maybe more. So excited. Um, Justice League is returning as we knew it would. We heard um, Brian Michael Bendis is going to be writing the new Justice League title going forward with his collaborator, David Marquez. Oh God. David Marquez is so good. Oh man. Um, Brian Michael Bendis was writing Superman and is now writing Justice League. Good for him. Um, the... The image posted has more characters than the solicitation read. Um, so, but here's what the new roster will be from the image that was posted: Superman, Batman, Flash, obviously, uh, Hawk Girl, Aquaman, all returning from the last Justice League run. Hippolyta, Naomi, his new character, mm-hmm. uh, Green Arrow, Black Canary, and Black Adam. Uh, I love uh, uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary being on the team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bendis is, is he loves writing romantic couples. He loves writing big teams. Like he wrote Avengers for like almost ten years. Like, uh, um, it's this is going to be a wild era because like Bendis has literally written every comic book character in existence at this point, and now this is like the final stage of like I am writing the Justice League. Mm-hmm. Like he's written, he wrote Batman, he wrote Superman. Uh, now he's writing Justice League. I'm like, man, I I I I hope it's good. I want it to be good. I was not crazy about his Superman run, so I dropped it pretty early. Um, so did I. You know the four the four ninety nine price tag is tough for me to justify this one uh, because I am yeah. so skeptical of him writing DC characters right now. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I held on hope for actually a lot longer than both of you guys did when Bendis started writing Superman because I was like, oh my god, it's Bendis and Superman. This is gonna be great. And at first, I was really enjoying it. Then it just 
Superman just kept falling to the bottom of the stack. Just kept going back and back and back. I was like, yeah, that's what happens. Hmm. Who's who's both you guys? Oh, uh, me and Ryan. Me, because I said I dropped off too. Yeah, because I, I know Sparks dropped off, but I don't know when exactly Sparks dropped off because you guys said you dropped off early where I kept going. Sparks, Sparks still buys it, so oh. screw your drop off. <laughs> um, here's the thing that bugs me about this news, though. Ram V has been writing Justice League Dark, and that book has been incredible. I really like that book. It's one of the best books that DC puts out. It's gorgeous. Ram V is a great writer for that team. He will be continuing to write that team. However, it will now be a backup story in Justice League. So we heard we we learned that he was continuing it, but we didn't know how. And now we learn it's in a backup. And that is, uh, I guess, the Lord giveth something, the Lord taketh away. Justice League Dark. That sucks. That's that's shitty. It really sucks because I've been really enjoying that title. And I was and I was looking forward to continuing it after Future State. Now I have to drop it because I can't justify a four ninety nine price tag for ten for ten pages. Absolutely. You know what bums me out? It makes me think that like what Bendis's plan is, is like super magic based. So he's like, oh, we can't have two books that are almost the same or something. Like that's, that's not what it is, but like putting Justice League Dark in just the back of the book, like that is so disrespectful. That's yeah. so that's so lame, man. I'm really bummed about that. Yeah. Well, anyway, the Crime Syndicate are getting a new series. Yeah, yeah. evil, evil. A new, a new six issue series. Uh, written by Andy Schmidt and Kieran McCowan. Uh, yeah, McKe- yeah. Spinning out of the pages of Dark Knight's death metal, the multiverse is reborn, and with it a new Earth-3. Witness the true origins of the malevolent makers of mayhem, known as the Crime Syndicate, as a common foe unites them. But how long can alliances last between villains like these? We'll also have a backup story drawn by Brian Hitch. Uh, it will be the story of how Ultraman became Ultraman. Is this book also four ninety nine? No, I think this was three ninety nine. Okay, cool. Um, yo, man, it's got Al Man. That's all I need. I'll I'll give the first issue a try. Yeah. Like I I love me some evil evil antihero whatever they are teams. I'm a big fan. That's really the, some of the new stuff we talked about more last week. Um, there was a flash announcement, but honestly, I don't really care about that one. The yo talk about uh, getting a creative team that no one really knows or cares about. Apparently, that new Flash team is like complete unknown people, and just like no one knows like. I think they're just like leaving Flash to die. Maybe it's going to be like a surprise, like hit out of nowhere. But like, people are like, "Uh oh, Flash." Is I dead. mean, you can hope because there was a bit. There was a bit where it was like, "We're going to redeem Wally West." I'm like, "Okay, great," but like, who the hell are these people? Yeah. Um. Well, let's let's hope for the best. Yeah. That's happened um, before, and you know, now they're. And then stuff. they also announced uh, Diamond 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 Comics announced that Free Comic Book Day will be held in August this year, not May. Oh. Yes. All right. Um, there is one comic. Uh, I don't know if we talked about it weeks ago when we some of these announcements came out, but there is a like a Teen Titans Academy book coming that out. Was, yeah, that was last week. That was last week. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Red, yeah Red X is a teacher. I just think that's that's hella cool. Yeah, I I agree. Um, they also announced that uh, Batman and Detective Comics uh, will have a backup story written by Joshua Williamson about Damian Wayne. Yeah. Apparently, Damian is also mm-hmm. like. I don't know if he's getting... Oh, no, I think it is just a backup because I saw some art and I'm like, oh, shit, Damien book? No. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Williamson. Oh, by the way, Infinite Frontiers about the Spectre and Wonder Woman, which I think is it's, what I think is rad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so on to the adaptations of comics, the, the other side of the comic book industry. Marvel Studios has uh, announced a couple of things. Oh? Including the Marvel Studios Legends, 
which is going to be a new series that revisits some of the most iconic moments from the MCU, one character at a time, kicking off with Wanda Maximoff and Vision. The first two episodes start streaming January 8th. So this will be like primers leading into the next MCU installments. It's a clip show. Pretty much. Yeah. Hey, man, it's cool if you need it. It's going to be free on Disney+, Plus, so I don't care. Yeah. Uh, Hellstrom was canceled. Hell yeah, I mean, it was. Officially, that show was dead the whole time. Yeah, yeah. it died in the water. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, born dead! <laughs> <laughs> and then the untitled third MCU Spider-Man film uh, has some rumored casting, as always, because this is what makes news nowadays. The Illuminati has Ooh. said... That William Defoe and Thomas Hayden Willem Defoe and Thomas Hayden Church are close to deals to return as their characters, Green Goblin and Sandman. Now, now we're pushing it. Now we're pushing it. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, I, now we're pushing it. Yeah, <laughs> already, you've gone too far. You need those clicks too bad. You got to stop. Yeah, whatever. If that happens, whatever. Hope it's, it's good. Just like- the context of all of these characters like like it's just too many you don't need them you don't need where's them. where's the announcement of reese iphans returning as the lizard so, so that's what i'm waiting for oh boy <laughs> he's he a dead lizard right they're no. all dead no he's the only one who didn't die say what he's the only one of all these villains that isn't dead oh wow oh sandman's not dead Oh, he floated away yeah he peter parker let him go oh he's yeah like, sure. with tears in his eyes i and he just floats away. Yeah. What After a movie. he just fought, fought him. <laughs> yeah. All right. DC Entertainment News. Uh, Peacemaker has added four new members to its cast. This is the uh, uh, Peacemaker show spinning off of the, the Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Woody Iwuji from When They See Us will play Clemson Mern. Lachlan Monroe from Riverdale will play Larry uh, Fitz, Fitzgibbon. Annie Chang from Shades of Blue will play Detective Sophie Song. And Christopher uh, Hyredal from Togo will play Captain Locke. These are not DC characters. These are new characters for this. I was about to say, there's a whole whole bunch of names. Yep. Black Adam has cast Cyclone in Trinket's star, Quintessa Swindle. Quintessa. Cool. Um, uh, They are the first high-profile pansexual Actress to get a role like this. Actor to get a role like this. Super duper. Really cool. Um, Cyclones to the JSA. Okie dokie. Superman and Lois has recast Morgan Edge, uh, initially played by Adrian Pazdar in Supergirl, will now be played by Adam Rayner. I'm bummed, but that's fine. No, Adrian. He was a really good Morgan Edge in the season he appeared. Aw. And then Netflix has some adaptation news with Yu Yu Hakusho. The uh, manga anime Yu Yu Hakusho is getting a live action adaptation from Netflix. They must have a lot of faith in that Cowboy Bebop series. Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, Netflix is hit or miss. Like, I I, they produce as much great shit as they do bad shit. So it's really it's impossible for me to to judge it. But like, man, I love Yu Yu Hakusho. At Mm -hmm. a time when I was younger, I loved Yu Yu Hakusho more than Dragon Ball, almost because I think I wanted to like like the thing that wasn't as popular um but they're both amazing but man yu yu show is sick as hell and i love spirit guns and spirit shotguns and i love all that shit man uh, i've wanted to return to yu yu show for a long time yeah 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 um let's hope cowboy bebop rules good job yeah, john chu hope you're hope you're great 
And uh, Lock and Key was uh, renewed for a third season ahead of its second season. Hell yeah. We loved that second good, season, didn't we? Good for Lock and Key. Um, yeah, I, I want to have faith in that the Yu Yu Hakusho can be, can be good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Live action anime can work. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Ha, what Has there ever been a really good live action like like key blast or like i'm like i'm trying like that's not wizard shit because like i'm trying to think of like martial arts movies don't really do it like what when has there ever been a really good someone going like ha you know what i mean and captain marvel captain marvel thank you there you go got it yeah they did it cool that's i was actually i was asking aquaman's aquaman's eyes uh uh black manta's eyes and aquaman thank you okay cool we can do it i'm just making sure i want i want to see it we got the technology on netflix but we can do it (laughs) yeah yeah i'm like um, this happened relatively late, so I added this here because we talked about it on the Mandalorian uh, last episode. So, full spoilers for the Mandalorian, real quickly uh, for the post-credit scene of the Mandalorian. You might want to skip this one if you're not watching this live. If you're watching this live, oh. mute me. Well, I mean, I guess like people know that there's the characters in the show, so I don't specifically think it's a spoiler for the end of the show, really. Well, just in case, uh, guess, the yeah. the the very end of the show says the Book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. And there's been a lot of speculation of whether or not that is the third season of The Mandalorian or a new show altogether. We we here on the show even speculated for this. Um, they have now confirmed it is a different show. It is a third spinoff of The Mandalorian. Good Lord. That will come out around the same time as season three of The Mandalorian. Oh, wow. So they're going to drop like Mandalorian in like November again or something? Dang. Yeah. Um, that, that came from the sor- the initial announcement of the source came from the concept designer, uh, the concept artist from Mandalorian that we, you know, his art we see in the in credits, and mm-hmm. then confirmed by Variety and Deadline and all those with Lucasfilm that it is a, another spinoff. Excellent. So, all the Mando stuff come in. Yep. Yeah, and they're all they're all said to collide into one finish eventually when it ends. So, cool stuff. I'm excited for that. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I really like Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett. I'm excited for more. Absolutely. We talked about that in Mandalorian. Go listen to our Mandalorian episode. Yeah. yeah. Or watch, because it's not on audio. Um, <laughs> no, oh listen. Boy. <laughs> Cat. It's trailers. Yeah. We'll start with Resident Alien. Uh, we got a clip, 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 glimpse of this at a Comic-Con earlier this year, and now we have a full trailer. What do we think? Yeah, it looks like Alan Tudyk having fun. Yeah. I think it looks yeah. pretty fun. I, yeah, I, I think... Uh, this is a, a very good trailer. Um, I hope they didn't show all the good stuff in the trailer. Uh, yeah. Me too. That's kind of what I'm concerned about. Yeah, because like I thought it was a really good trailer. I'm like, oh, this has to be all the good shit, right? Um, I hope it's actually just a well-made show all the way through. Uh, I like the premise a lot. Uh, yeah, Alan Tudyk rules. Can't I like the more. I like the cop who's who's like washed up on shore. How do you know? I can feel it in my balls. Yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the lady comes like I checked the the currents and and you know his balls. Also his balls. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think this looks a lot of fun. Hopefully it is. Yeah, sci-fi has continued to make like actually good, original, expensive-looking content. So it's like it's nice that they've they've reached the status that they that they're there at now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jurassic World: Camp Cretaceous season two had a new trailer. Did you guys watch this one? Probably not, right? I, did. I watched it. We did. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I liked the first season more than I did. Uh, hopefully the second season is good. Yeah. Kids are trapped. Yeah. They're not the only ones trapped there. So definitely that person at the end who throws like a flare is like a major character that's coming to save them, like Star Wars style, right? Well, there's a character who dies at the end of the first season. Oh, okay. 
Uh, and we are led to believe that that character might still be alive when that season ends. So I think that's what that is. There it is. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's not going to be, <laughs> I made a joke that just Ian Malcolm shows up like, huh, Hey, well, Hey, what's up? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> just, huh, how am I here? The chaos. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think it's any, like anyone like that special, but yeah. yeah. Psycho Gorman. I really want to see this movie. So I just typed in new trailers because I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anything. And I clicked this trailer and I think it's going to be like some like fake, like low budget movie. And it's just a regular badass looking low budget movie. Yeah. It reminded me of, you ever watched the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy? Yes. 100%. It's like that, but with an evil alien overlord. Yeah. Uh, it was nice meeting you. It'd be better if you were dead. Oh, okay. Bye. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't be worried. Be worried. <laughs> Yeah, just the, the premise of these kids like like have control of this like evil alien because of some artifact and that like he has to do their bidding just seems like really good fun like really good comedy yeah, yeah. i want you to go wait in the corner until we come back you will pay for this <laughs> uh it's a shutter original so you know yeah yeah that's like, uh, this this is very in line with like um this is like a, a comedy manga that i could definitely believe would happen oh yeah, yeah um yeah, this is yeah. very much that kind of humor uh, so I'm really looking forward to this. I think this will be very entertaining. The girl, now I think about it, the girl who has the gem to control Psycho Gorman is like a more peppy version of Mandy from Grim Adventures. Yeah. yeah. Like she um, takes across and like, there's a new god now, snap. <laughs> yeah, I think this is delightfully charming. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the first um, Shudder original that like makes me actively want to watch something on Shudder. And not that I mean, the other ones bad or anything but like this one I'm but like, like but like you're like i need to be oh, watching yeah. this yeah, yeah i'll i'll check you out oh yeah okay what was that movie with the dude stuck in the suit from from space it was yeah, kid like, starman starman with jeff ridges no no uh star no. kid star kid yes i remember that that used to be on disney channel i would watch it there when he pops out of the suit the suit like you see inside the musculature and it talks and it's like why are you not? <laughs> and you're like, ah, 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 ah. I remember that now. It reminded me. It reminded me a bit of that. Sure. All right. Spoilers for Tenet. Uh, full spoilers for the Christopher Nolan movie Tenet. We are now talking about that. Um, so let's get first impressions out of the way. Uh, ben. This is definitely a Christopher Nolan movie. Cool. Sparks. <laughs> Um, I enjoyed the concept and, uh, and the filming of it. And I don't know how much I enjoyed anything else. That's not to say I didn't, but I don't know. <laughs> Ryan. I liked a lot of it. Um, I definitely think, uh, it's, it's convoluted and not in the fun way that Christopher Nolan movies normally are. Um, with things like Inception and Interstellar, like there are mysteries along the way, but I, I, I don't feel stupid waiting for the answer. And I kind of felt stupid most of this movie, even while the answer was there. Um, and I, and since watching the movie, I have watched a ton of YouTube videos about it. So I have a, I have an understanding of everything about this movie. And like, it has, unfortunately, it is a movie where you do have to watch multiple times or look into it to like, so to make everything really make sense. Cause upon first viewing, it just, it's too overwhelming of information um, to its detriment. Uh, I think Inception does this same type of thing much better in every single way. Um, that being said, like I, 
uh, I I really appreciate Christopher Nolan for making really expensive genre movies. So there's a part of me that really respects the movie that he made. But like sometimes you need to take your head out of your ass. And his his he was there in this movie for sure. <clears throat> um, I will I will say my initial thoughts. Not to cut off Ben, um, but I really enjoyed it as we got about halfway. Um, I think the beginning of the movie, the first half of the movie, the dialogue is way too quiet, which is a directorial choice, which I cannot stand. Dude, the audio mixing is so rough in this movie. Um, for for the characters to be speaking the type of exposition that they are constantly speaking, the dialogue is almost inaudible, and that's a problem. Um, but as as I got kind of cued into what the what the movie was, I started to enjoy it a lot more and actually did really enjoy the ending of it. I thought the ending, I thought the ending is very good. Yeah. Um, I, I think the ending's very good. Um, I, I think there is a lot to enjoy in the film. Um, I think my biggest like takeaways of, of what bums me out about it, because I, I, I'm not confused about the movie. I get what's going on. Um, I wish the movie did more with the relationship between Neil and the protagonist. Um, yeah. Which really goes to say, I wish the protagonist had a character. Also, the uh, name. Yeah, the problem. The problem is also like this is the first time that he's he's like deliberately setting up a franchise, um, and like there, it's never more clear than the final talk that that Neil and the protagonist have. It's like, yo, here's all the sequel shit we're gonna never get to make because this movie bombed. Luna, um, <laughs> Luna, stop. Wait, Sorry. is he actually yeah. called the protagonist? He, yes, his name in the script is yeah. protagonist. The protagonist yeah it's that's see that's what i mean like i think honestly if he wasn't named the protagonist <clears> and if it wasn't written in such a way where it was so like heady if he was just a named guy and like like we learned like his his like code name is a protagonist that'd be fine but it is so up your own butt to be like i am the protagonist of like the world and i'm like i i get what you're doing but i don't think it works i don't think it works fully um again like i think i I, i've never seen a bad christopher nolan movie i've just seen disappointing christopher nolan movies and i wouldn't say this movie disappointed me i just i it is definitely the most middling i think of all his movies that's exactly the word i was thinking i think it's very middling and i think i think the thing is that like it's not the concepts that really kick me out of uh fully enjoying myself in this film it's the it's the characters yeah um like i i've watched other Christopher Nolan films, and I'm at least engaged with it with two characters to a, a, an entertaining degree, where I'm like, uh, I I get an idea of personality, all these things, and I'm yeah. like, Neil is kind of the only one I can gravitate towards. Neil is the only character I really uh, like. Uh, like, I, yeah. uh, I can't I can't latch into Cat. I can't latch into the bad guy. I can't latch into the protagonist. Man, uh, Sator, the bad guy, uh, uh, Kenneth Branagh. I don't think I've ever seen an actor give such a good performance with such a weak script <laughs> because that dude is his, his, his motivation is if I can't have you, then no one can for the whole world. And for me, for what this movie's dealing with is the flimsiest, <clears throat> most lame. Like I find it for a villain motivation to be just kind of lame. Um, even though I find the final scene between him and his wife and stuff that happens really sweet. And I like that moment. I think the overall plan is super convoluted and just kind of, uh, kind of lame. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think the. For everything yeah. that we're going through, it's yeah. just about like, I want to end the world because I'm mad. Well, it's also I... so real quickly, just to explain the concept yeah. to the, to the audience. The idea is that the future has developed inverted materials um, that, that work backward, that are going backwards in time. 
um, instead of forwards in time. Um, and they've found a way from the future to uh, wage war against the past in that way. And they want to end the past uh, for destroying the future. And they don't know it will destroy themselves or they don't think it will. Yeah. That's kind of the background of where Kenneth Branagh is coming from. Um, which, by the way, uh, I, I talk about this a lot. Um, if you don't mind me going on a quick little tangent about the concept of time. Um, I think that that time as a concept is, is such an interesting one to me because it is something we completely made up and yet can't quite comprehend to its entirety if we start thinking about it too long. Yeah. Um, and this is a perfect example of that, of thinking about when you see characters going like inverted and then forward, if you're looking at a character going inverted, they're just walking backwards forward in time. They're not going backwards in time. It is, it is physically impossible for us to conceive that movement of going back in time. That's why it's reversed. I know. It's just such a, yeah. such a, like I spent a lot of time just kind of like trying to wrap my head around the fact that like, this is impossible. I can't be, I can't watch someone go back in time. And that's why there's that scientist lady. And she, she looks directly at the audience and she says, don't think about it. Yeah. yeah. Literally has a line. It's like, it's, it's, it's all, it, I forget the you line. Gotta, you got to feel it. Don't think about yeah, it. Yeah. Don't think about it's it. Instinct. And, and, and honestly, that, that, that does take a lot, a, a lot for, excuse me that line uh, uh, fixes, not fixes, but it allows a lot of the problems for the movie. Because again, I'm going to this movie for the high concept. I don't need it all to make sense. I just want to be, in, I want to have fun and enjoy the story while we're going through it. I just found the whole, the, the whole plot just, it just convoluted for, for almost no reason. And it feels like he, the idea of inversion and doing things, going backwards in time to fix problems is incredibly unique and very cool. But again, the plot of having to find this algorithm thing to stop this angry guy it just it it felt like a different plot in a different movie. Also, um, I think it's filmed really cool. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's it's a uh, it's a feast for the eyes. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is that like this movie is long when it really really doesn't have to be. Yeah. And like here, there's a really big specific problem with this that um, is both the benefit of the film and the detriment of the film, which is that Christopher Nolan has a particular style and his style moves at a certain pace. And that's, that pace is kind of slow. Yeah. Uh, he takes his time with things. The problem is that a more um, snappy, willing to uh, trim fat director would have moved through this same script at a better pace that probably would have been more engaging and entertaining because we would have lost a lot of the, like, uh, you know, the, the bits of like having to talk to, uh, this person to talk to this person to talk to this person would have been like, boom, boom, boom. There was a lot move on through it. Uh, yeah. and with, with Nolan, it's gotta be a location establishing shot, get to the location, walk up. Hey, are you the person? Let's have a five minute conversation. Great. You also need to go talk to this person. Fantastic. Establishing location could, shot, new location. Michael Caine did not need to be in this. Not movie. at all. No, 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 no. He's a prime example of he's what a I'm talking He's about. like, he's the middleman for like a middleman for a middleman of him just going from character to character to learn information. It's like Michael Caine is only there. It's like, oh, you uh, British billionaires, you're not the only ones who, you don't have a monopoly on snobbery. It's like, yeah. mm, okay. And it really feels like the only reason that that doesn't happen is because Nolan has a tone and doing something that fast would violate his tone. And I'm like, I... I guess, but like it's it's hurting how long how well engaged I can be with the story for that first half of the film. Yeah, like I'm just kind of waiting for it to to move. And it's not even to make sense. I'm not sitting there confused. Yeah. I'm just like, can we move forward? I, I I want to get to 
movie things happening. Yeah, th- this is the f- this might be the first Christopher Nolan movie where I felt bored at times. Yeah, um, oh, and, and it's and it's I like all the exposition, but I I feel like there's a lot of it when. I, th- I think you can trust your audience just a little bit more like you did with Inter- with inception you trusted your audience a lot more in inception I think well and the big and the big problem still with those scenes is like if you're gonna take the time if you're going to spend so much time on that it needs to be telling me something about the character I'm following the protagonist yeah it tells me nothing it informs me of nothing about him what's what's what the problem is their protagonist is a is a is a well-developed superhero character in like the third movie after he's created tenant and we've made the character. This is the first movie where he's becoming the protagonist. Right. But from the end of the movie, we know that this is the franchise starter and like the stuff with, I love the stuff at the end when they were like, Hey, like this is, I was telling I was telling sparks, Brandon, this is so much like a melody pond or, or river, river song, song, river song, yeah. doctor thing where it's like, we're meeting at different times in our life. And that shit is incredible. I love when, when movies or TV shows get to do that. Cause that is such a high concept shit. Like we're at, we're at, we're at this point in our lives. We're at different times. That is endlessly fascinating to me. Uh, unfortunately, uh, that one five minute scene, uh, you had to have two hours of a bunch of stuff happen before it, for it, for it actually matter. I wanna, I'm like, Oh, I want to talk a little bit about Christopher Nolan, uh, as a director. Cause I have noticed for a while now that he is becoming more and more willing to sacrifice character for concepts. Yes. Um, and, and that became very apparent in this one that I think he's probably ready to hop the line and just skip character altogether and just do concepts. Yeah. Um, and he, and I've noticed it like inception is a good movie, but there's where I start, where I started to notice it because the characters are they're it's, they're a little thin. They're, they're um, absolutely flimsy. Yeah. They're, they're, they're caricatures. Yeah. And, and real quick, just like bouncing off. And I want to send it back to you. The place where concept over character works well, short films, but this isn't a short film. This is an incredibly long movie. It needs characters for me to be engaged with, or I am bored half of the time. That's yeah. why Brandon, his best movie is one, two, three. Time begins. Interstellar. Oh. Oh, I was actually going to say the Prestige, but I wanted to say Batman Begins instead. Oh, okay, yeah. Because when I think I, of character, I th- when I think of character and high concept, I think Interstellar is maybe the Prestige too with magic shit, but like. Matthew McConaughey is is he's like that's an Oscar winning performance in that movie. That dude is selling his soul in in space while also dealing with some really high concept space black hole shit um, and yeah. fifth dimension stuff. One of the things that he that Christopher Nolan really likes to play with is time. He really likes to play with the concept of time. Even Interstellar, Inception, Memento, uh, The Prestige. Like he's always constantly playing with the concept of time. And I realized that coming looking back on Inception, I realized that that was where he started to want to play more with the concept than play with the characters and i really noticed it in dunkirk which i think is a fine movie but has no characters and deliberately so it was a choice um and i and and he's really just playing with the three timelines intersecting with each other and and then leading into this one where i'm like okay so he's just ready to give up character yeah like uh uh cat uh the wife of the villain like she she misses her son and like I don't, but like I don't know what else she really has going. on. It doesn't on. feel like she has a character until the last third of the film. Yeah, where she like takes initiative and like yeah, yeah. Uh, which you I, I could even accept an argument that that's the point, and for her specific character that could work for me. Yeah, but it doesn't fix that the protagonist has no character. It doesn't fix that uh, Seder has no real character. He man, he I'm so mad because he yells so good, but what he's saying is like, it's like I'm a bad guy. I'm like oh, Bre- oh Kenneth, that's a shame. Um, real quick, 
I just want to bring up a super dope uh, fan theory uh, that I just I'm I love because it's the type of shit I I, I love. Um, so Neil, um, Neil is 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 a mysterious ally, right? He's a dude who saves him at the beginning of the movie. He's been traveling backwards in time like this whole time, except for when he had to save the protagonist at the end. Um, that dude's from the future. Uh, Max, Cat's son. Max's name is Maximilian. And the last four letters of his name, if you reverse it, it's Neil. Hmm. So no. the thing with the protagonist and, and Neil being best friends and the prota- and Neil knowing, I know you don't like Diet Coke, because this dude, this dude has been friends with him for literally 20 years and he's his mentor. And this is the thing where I think about in the third movie how this is all going to pay off, but we're never going to get there. And I'm like, Chris, I see the great thing you're doing here. And I just, oh man, there's so much other stuff you could have fixed. I think Can it's I- just, sorry, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I don't, I honestly don't think he wanted to set up sequels. I think that's yeah. incidental. I don't think he intended to make sequels. He never has before. He had never been interested in doing sequels to anything before. Yeah. I think the quote-unquote sequel setup that is in this movie is accidental. It's. I think it's good. It's a shame. Right, and I and I was going to kind of say something like that, which like Christopher Nolan has never done like franchise stuff outside of the, the Batman films, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. where he is building sequel like stuff um and the thing is like even just like looking at uh batman begins as his one real comparison against this mm-hmm. like batman begins is just a really good film that leaves an open world for batman to be explored in whereas this one feels like it needed to actually have a full story and it has half a story uh before it can even set up it feels like else. the story is I, in the future i can see the pictures of like where things will go yeah. and like that's interesting and everything um, but either you needed to spend less time to get me here for me to feel like the journey was worth it, yeah. or you needed to make more of it better and concise and confined to this film. Yeah, the, the it's like it's like he 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 had this like epic like even if even if he doesn't have like a trilogy plan or or, or even another movie planned, it's, it feels like it's I like it. Uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't need it doesn't need to be a sequel. Um, I just think I think it's it's good world building and like the potential is there. But not yeah. anymore. I mean, that's why I said I really like the ending. Yeah, like I really like those last five minutes with Neil. I'm like, he's like, you know, we're gonna have a lot more adventures, and it's like super, it's super this like is, Avengers like do, sequel baby. Do you know what it is? This is like if Iron Man ended where like when Tony gets back to the states from being captured oh, okay, and everything yeah. before that was just him being like a business guy yeah and like too obsessed with war and not paying enough attention to his mechanics and everything and then at the very end he's back in his shop and he's like i think i'm gonna make a suit and then it yeah. ends and i'm like that's not the story <laughs> like, yeah. that's not where the story is that's yeah. two and a half hours of preamble for a good story that you're not doing yeah it's yeah it's the foundation like the foundation for whatever could be uh, just isn't solid enough if there was plans, unfortunately. Um, I I want to say I really like John David Washington as an actor, and I, I really like him in this as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I think he, I I think he's got a good presence. Yeah, he just doesn't have a character, and yeah, it irritates yeah. the crap out of me. Yeah, I but yeah, I look forward to more because I, I saw I saw him in a lot of things before I saw him because he was in Black Klansman and um, uh, the movie with Robert Redford, um, For sure. which is uh, Old Man with a Gun. And uh, so I really like him. So seeing him in like a Chris Nolan movie, I'm like, yeah, man, I, I hope you do good. I hope you get some uh, good stuff. Uh, speaking of that, uh, on our holiday annual that you'll see in the future, because um, how Tenet, uh, <laughs> um, when I talked about the, the, there was a black critic 
uh, oh, I don't even know if they, we might have done this off air, but there was a black critic uh, who was a film critic talking about how um, there's there should be a recasting of T'Challa. Um, it's it's noble to want to respect Chadwick Boseman, but um, we've had five Batmans, three Spider-Mans, all this kind of stuff. Um, there's no reason why the black superhero should be should not get their their stance. Another actor shouldn't get their mark. That same person was suggesting that it should be uh, Washington yeah. to step yeah. into the role of T'Challa. Um, totally agree. Which I could see working really well. Uh, and and I, I agree. I think that there is room for that. Um, I, I wanted to like him more because I wanted to like the character more. Yeah. And I just couldn't yeah. because there just wasn't enough there to grab onto. Uh, that's that's really just a, a hard thing for me not to echo throughout because it really does like make the whole first half of the film feel like a slog. Yeah, if it, it feels like a mm. like a prequel comic to what the big movie event actually is, because like there's so much cool stuff happening in here. I'm like, man, I see the potential in this so so much, and I'm like, I'm I'm actually I'm kind of shocked. Like even though it's an end of the world scenario, like this felt like compared to like Interstellar or like Dunkirk, this was a kind of small movie in a way, you know, it's still obviously a huge budget movie. Um, <clears throat> I expected it to be bigger in scope and it kind of just ended in like a 30 V 30 time war. Uh, this like military time war. Also Aaron Taylor Johnson is dope. And uh, that dude, that was Aaron Taylor Johnson, the big ripped British man. Yup. That, Hey, that dude's a good actor when he, when he's actually given good stuff. What? I had no idea. <laughs> Yeah, he did Nocturnal Animals like four years ago, and he's nominated for an Oscar. And then he he like makes a bunch of other movies, and then he does this, and I'm like, yo, every once in a while, that dude's a super good actor. Yeah, he's like, uh, he's yeah. Yes, yeah. that was Aaron that's Taylor. That's the guy Johnson. from Godzilla. Yeah, that's Aaron Taylor Johnson. <laughs> that's um, kick ass. Yeah, that's he's kick ass. <laughs> he's he's giving a really good performance again. Like, it, and I don't think that he needed to have more of a character, but there's not there's not necessarily a character there other than like good military man. Yeah, just um, like, but like, man. but like. Aaron Taylor Johnson's giving a good performance that that he's not a person who I felt like needed to have more fleshed out about him. Yeah. Um, it, it really does bother me that like we get that because Neil, the idea of Neil and, uh, and the protagonist having that river song, David Tennant relationship really does work for me. I just feel like you needed to stick it more with like their interactions up to that point in the film. So I at least get more of an idea who the protagonist is in that relationship, because I don't know, like they, they kind of, he, he has this moment when he knows like Neil's leaving to go get killed. Yeah. And I'm like, I know you're crying, but like, I don't really know why other than like you, you are a nice person, I guess. Yeah. Like, like it's, there's not a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have much more to add. I think the, the music is good if overly loud. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it's Ludwig, uh, Black Panther and Mandalorian's own Ludwig. Uh, because of uh, of mixing, it was nice. It was refreshing to watch a Christopher Nolan film not with music from Rawr. Hans Zimmer, um, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it felt a little different. Um, it's a shame that the rest of it felt like it was so trapped in Christopher Nolan trappings. And mm-hmm. like, I, I do think like, this is it's it, it, watching him in this watching Christopher Nolan's direction for this film feels like watching someone uh, get so consumed in the in the stereotypes of what their filmmaking style is and yeah. almost defining themselves by it at this point. Yeah. Rather than like Evolving. engaging with anything else. This is like if um, everything J.J. Abrams did from here on was lens flares out the wazoo. Uh, wow. You know, like that's a that's a more exaggerated uh, 
thing like he doesn't have the necessary like exact same style i would argue that there are things that are like jj abrams just kind of repeating the the steps of everything he does but um this is this feels like nolan kind of getting boxing himself in yes uh and refusing to bend enough away from it when it would improve the film like he's so committed to his ideas of of what his filmmaking looks like that he can't recognize that maybe this long drawn out series of exchanges to get from one person to the next actually hurts the pace of the movie. And and maybe you don't need a two and a half hour film just because you're Christopher Nolan and you usually do that. I would kill, see what, what, what does a 90 minute Chris Nolan movie look like? Like fast fast and tight. Oh man. I would kill to see what a hour and 45 minute version of this movie looks like. Because I think it would be very, very tight. Yeah. I think I'd be more engaged. And the character stuff wouldn't bother me as much because I'd be like, but we were moving through and I felt like, you know, like all the action was clicking and everything was happening. And yeah. I at least like, I, I was I was actively engaged in the entertainment of the thing uh, rather than having these long lulls where I'm like, I'm not learning anything about a character. I'm just kind of sitting here watching people talk. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, which is unfortunate. Because, and talk at yeah. a level, it's hard for me to hear it, that. It's so, ex- it's so exhausting watching those sequences where it's just two people talking because you if you have subtitles on even if you're reading it's just kind of like <laughs> yeah can't make yeah. any noise <laughs> like we're like we were having to change like the volume on the tv because like at one point it'd be extremely loud and then it'd be extremely low and i'm like man just like mix it what's going on and, and, yeah and i really do want to point out like i do not think that the thing that that really hurts this movie is the the any kind of confusion based around its concept not at all i am no. i am reiterating i watched it once i do get the concept i understand the the main line of what's happening and i understand some of the details i followed it it wasn't confusing it was just frustrating that there was nothing entertaining to keep me engaged with in between those things yeah, yeah. uh the once one season the inverted world and like everything is reversed for him it's it's it it's super impressive film it moves very well like mm-hmm. it's i like however they f- shot that stuff where like they're doing reverse stuff while other people they are shot doing- it backwards they shot it backwards that's impressive man yeah it's- so they they shot it going forward and then that's why he, that's why he runs funny that's why you don't see a lot of him running from the legs down yeah, yeah. Um, that's why his arms over exaggerated because he's actually running backwards but they're filming it forwards and then they re- reverse the film i love it um Especially like that that last battle, like there's so much stuff happening, and so much like reverse and forward stuff happening at the same time. It's just like it, it it makes all the character stuff like so much more sad because like I wish I cared about what's happening. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's very impressive and and uh, it really does make me feel like you know there there was a way to tighten up this script to explore some of the characters a little bit better in a tighter script and just make all this clip along better. But you would have had to have sacrificed a lot of things that feel just like they're there because that's his style. Yeah. Ben? So, I have a little X-Wing here on my desk when I was watching uh, Tenet, and there were many times where I was just picking it up and just, like, waving around during a lot of the stuff, because I could not understand what the damn hell was going on. Subtitles, man. Yeah. But it wasn't that I couldn't hear them, because I could hear them. I was listening, I was listening to, I was watching the movie with headphones on, and, but it was mostly, like, when we meet the scientist lady and a bunch of techno babble was being thrown at me at a hundred miles an hour. I'm like, what? Excuse me. What, what are you talking about here? And then finally it was like, okay, so is it time travel? Is it not tra-? This movie felt like it's like, remember when Ascension came out back in 2009, when people were saying is like, 
like people were saying like, oh, I understand Inception. If you don't understand Inception, you're not smart. I just, I just, I, I just didn't think Inception was confusing. I, I didn't think this movie was confusing. I didn't. No, I didn't I, I'll, I'll push back against that as well. I don't think either of those films, either of these films, were confusing. I, Tenet was just like someone invented inverted materials to go back in time. Merlin. I like. I've been queued up from this since I saw the play Camelot. Merlin is aging backwards. Benjamin Button is aging backwards. I was like, okay, I get this. This is the Benjamin oh. Button, yeah, uh, Metal Gear world, absolutely, yeah. So, like, but that's I, how I, I kind of figured. But, but I, 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 sorry, real quick, uh, to Ben's point, I, I do appreciate that. Like, I think there is an easy way for you to get bored out of understanding important information in the middle of the oh, film. Sure. Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think that there is an easy way to to bore you so much that you tune out. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying, like, I do think that that, like, that movie by not engaging with you enough is like uh, you will miss key pieces that can help mm-hmm. you to understand it. And that is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And I was honest to God trying to pay attention to it. And, but it's a two and a half hour movie. And I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna let this go through. I'm not going to rewind it. I got a lot of other stuff I need to get done besides watching mm-hmm. Tenet. So as the action scenes were great, the way the, the way the car, the car chase scene was filmed where you see the car, like, just go backwards and get, and get fixed. I thought those scenes were amazing. I thought all the action scenes were fun. I really like. I really like when he when he's in his car and they're driving to the uh, to the uh, fire engine. Um, and he's and he looks down and the camera kind of like focuses on a broken mirror. And I'm like, that's gonna come up later. That's a thing. I see. Uh, um, but besides besides the action scenes being really cool and the the inverted the worst thing at the end of the movie there were it while i was watching this i just felt like i was like god this is this felt like the most christopher nolan movie christopher nolan could actually chris nolan if that makes any sense because <laughs> it just feels like god damn i feel like this is like oh look at this concept and you're, like, you're right Brandon. he's or sparks whoever said it earlier he straight up went more concept over character like i love neil the whole time i'm watching this movie i'm like what is Washington's name? Protagonist. What character's name. And then, like he says, I'm the protagonist. Like, okay, that's cool. Like the only other act or other character that I also enjoyed was the lady arms dealer. Like that was a good twist at the beginning of the movie. They thought it was this other dude, the husband. And then it's like, surprise, no, it's me. Here's here's the I say tenant. I do the thing. I'm like, oh, it's her. I'm like, I, that's a cool twist. I like that. That's neat. And then it turns out that she is like, mm, I have all y'all. Okay. Uh, why does Washington's protagonist only get to have cheeky personality when he's being a dick to Kenneth Branagh? <laughs> That's like the only time that you get like that kind of personality coming yeah. out of him where he's like uh, making cheeky one-liners and things like that. That's also not who he is. It's still him doing it as part of his cover. Yeah. And I'm like, but who are you, man? <laughs> like outside of this, who are you? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, he, he's, there's no character there. He's, he's just like a bunch of, yeah, sometimes jokes. He's a lead. Yeah. Yeah. But Kenneth Branagh, that man trying is trying so damn hard. And I give him all the credit. He was menacing. He was scary. I feared for his wife. Like when he goes to the, to the, to the bedroom and he's taking off this belt and he takes off his cufflinks and he puts his cufflink inside the belt. I'm like, oh, he's ready to throw down. But then he said, if I can't have you, no one will. And I'm like, oh, that's really bad. I've heard that literally a billion times. That is, oh, you're all that upset. 
It's like, hmm, okay, you're super obsessive about this one woman, but well, that and that then his logic that logic is literally the explanation of his logic for the whole world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, that's pretty lame, guys. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If I have to die of cancer, everybody has to die. Okay. Yeah, that's that's lame. So I could take take it down, Sephiroth. Come on. Yeah. Um, I do want to highlight that I thought the opening scene was really good and really solid. The uh, coming out of the gate, swinging at the yeah, I thought that that whole thing felt really good. Uh, I I enjoyed watching it, uh, and after that, the movie slows down. All the action is just it, it's done really well. Um, those those sequences are well thought out. It's just it's a lot of the stuff in between the lines. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, I think. All right. So all the action scenes, all the action scenes top-notch amazing filmmaking kick-ass cinematography but even when the stuff like the time stuff like the one part where i was really excited about was the going back in time bit was when we get the payoff that it was the protagonist fighting the protagonist when he's wearing that uh uh that get up with the gas mask and everything that Mm -hmm. he was really fighting himself i thought that was very and because like when uh when neil sees the head he's like Oh shit! Yeah, I took care of him. It's fine. And then when it's revealed that it was him the whole time, it's like, oh, I like that. That's yeah, like all, all, cool. all the all the time, like all the inversion reveal stuff. Like I think all again, like all the everything that's not people talking. I'm really a big fan of. Yeah. At the end of the day, like I like so much of this movie. It's just a shame that the people that are doing the things in it, I don't care about. Like, yeah. you know, that's yeah. always, that's always the thing with these action movies. Like if you don't care about the people, then you don't care about the action. And it's, yeah. and it's rare, honestly, I, I think uh, as a person who hasn't seen Dunkirk or Interstellar yet, yeah. um, but it feels like that has been a rarity up until recently with Nolan films where you're, uh, you're, you're losing pretty much any kind of uh, uh through line into relating to any character in the film. Yeah, man, the prestige is full of character, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, should I rate it? Let's rate it. Sure. Sure. I'll go first. Uh, you know, the ending does really nail it for me. So much so that I like it in hindsight. But I think you guys might have convinced me to go down in my rating a bit. You like what you like. Um, yeah, my instincts do want to say eight, though. Yeah, I did really, I did have a good time uh, all said and done. Yeah, I think I'll stick with an eight, honestly. Like, whatever. This thing doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to give it a seven. It's probably the Chris Nolan movie. I will revisit the least. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would uh, also go on that a seven. Um, I, I just think that uh, it has cool stuff going on, but then too much of it is Chris Nolan uh, getting too focused on his own bullshit uh, at the sacrifice of good filmmaking uh he he's given up good filmmaking for his filmmaking and and mm. it's a it's a bummer to watch that happen yeah ben. yeah when the movie is great it's great and when it's low it is very low that i just look at whatever's on my desk and i start fidgeting with it it's a seven it's still good it, but yeah it's like the no, the most nolan nolan movie that nolan has ever noland all right let's move into our book club the final book club of the year of 2020. 2020. Ben, take it away. 
Yep. So my pick for the book club is Superman for All Seasons by one of my favorite writing and artists. Hey, welcome teams. to the Fake Nerd Comic uh, Shop. Jeff Loeb yeah, and Tim hi. Sale. Even though now I realize that you Jeff Loeb any... is not the best person in the world. Whoops. So let's just say Tim uh, Sale. Could you be a little bit more specific? Amazing um, as always. I don't do think, think that man has ever done readable? me wrong in whatever book of his I have read. And this story is that it's basically Superman in the beginning when he first put on the cape. And it's told in four um, issues. Each issue taking place during a certain season, and it's also there's also a great narration from four different super characters that are involved in Superman's life. It is a great look into how people view Clark Kent, how do people view Superman, and man, this is a great book. It's been a very long time since I read this. What did you guys think? Because I was um, so happy to revisit this again. I haven't I haven't read this book in a while, um, so it was also really exciting to revisit. What I what I stood out for me were all the brilliant brilliant splash pages that tim sale does uh all of them are just quiet moments with clark for the most part uh clark and other characters and i think they're gorgeous and i would have a any single one of these splash pages pinned up on my wall in a heartbeat mm-hmm. yeah uh i also haven't read this in a, in a in a whole long time um but it was it was so refreshing because i haven't read i haven't read a superman comic in a while at least like a regular one yeah, um, yeah. and it's like going back to like what feels like just pure superman it's so nice. Yeah. And it's just like every time I people are like, Superman sucks. And I'm like, there's no way. You have not read this book. Ryan, <laughs> you and I, let's get this right out of the way. You and I tweeted at the same time. We we read the book at the exact same time. And I was like 20 pages ahead of you. And we both <laughs> tweeted a page. We're like, look how cool Superman is. Well, one of the things was one of the things I remembered was in in Batman v Superman. We'll talk about this a little bit, I'm sure. But in Batman v Superman, there's a bit where Superman comes down, there's a terrorist, got a gun to Lois, and Lois just and and the and the the thing that Superman decides to do is ram that dude through many walls. Many walls. Where in this, it was just, boop, boop, I got the gun. So there's actually one other personnel on the team who's credited on the front page or on the cover that I believe deserves a huge chunk of credit. It's Bjorn Hansen, who is the colorist. Oh, one, yeah. Because one of the pages I just flipped to was the, let me find it one more time. Because that, here it is, here it is. It's the page with uh, Clark and his dad out in the cornfield. And they're just looking at the sunset and just look. All your listeners, I'm sorry, but it's a gorgeous, gorgeous sunset. And Clark Clark's asked, like, don't will you ever get tired of looking at it? And he's like, No, I don't think I ever will. Like that is so sweet. Like Paw Kent's a farmer till the end, man. It, it reminds funny enough, that scene reminds me a lot with my mom. Um, because my mom loves there have been times, especially after when my parents split, that my mom would send me pictures of sunset and says she was thinking of me, and it was so now every time I see a very pretty sunset, I even text my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, look at the sunset. Oh, so that, that is uh, that, that hit me right in the feels. Yeah, even though I knew it was coming because I have read this book before. It just uh, it, it's just so beautiful. There's, the- a, there's a twister that attacks Metropolis. Oh, I'm not I'm not saying Zack Snyder. There are better ways to write your scenes, but you know that's exactly what I'm saying. I feel like Zack Snyder read this book and he's like, "How could I do the opposite of everything that was in this book? How like, can I do the worst version of everything in this book?" It truly comes across that way sometimes. Um, so uh, I've gone on record before, I'm sure. Uh, Superman for all seasons is to this date my favorite Superman comic of all time. Uh, absolute 100%. This is why I gave Ben some cheeky shit when he picked it for the book club. Um, <laughs> I'm so when you can do. When he sent me that gift, I'm like, why is he? Oh, <laughs> stepping in my house, mother. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. You're no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, 
it, it's just nice to to talk about it. I'm actually glad that you picked it because having watched BVS recently, it was really nice to go back to this. Um, Superman for all seasons uh, is just so good at capturing the essence of who Superman's supposed to be. Um, it's so good at uh, doing my favorite thing, which is providing a perspective by characters about why he is so important to them both uh in negative and positive ways because mm -hmm. they do a great job of fleshing out not just why the city of metropolis characters like lois lane love him lana lang his parents but they also uh do it through lex luther yeah uh, and why he hates him so much and it's so well done uh lex luther's whole plot of uh using jenny vaughn um oh, of geez. of twisting her the way that that whole thing plays out because what he creates is a situation where he recreates this is where i love jeff Loeb's writing in this because he recreates a situation where superman is forced into the heart attack moment without jonathan kent's death being the heart attack moment but lex luther instead causing it and saying see you can't do everything get the heck out of my city yeah. uh, as his attitude and it's it's this scene where he's doing it and they're in the rain and superman's on his knees and i'm like so this is this is what Batman v Superman needed, guys. Like that moment on that helipad should be this. It should be this. This I I beat you by by manipulating and tricking the world around you. Uh, and and this Lex Luthor has values and he has reasons and beliefs about why he's doing it. And you get the sense of that, but you also get so much of the passion uh, that Superman brings through others and through himself uh, throughout the story just for all, all the good acts that he does. Um, this is also one of my favorite uh, artist interpretations of Clark. Uh, I prefer the big, tall Clark, where he's just massively taller than most people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I just, I, and the art throughout is gorgeous, uh, mm -hmm. which is no surprise because it's uh, Tim Sale. So, you know, who's, who's shocked. Um, there's a uh, particular stuff that this still harkens back to some of my favorite things. I love when they do the black silhouette with the red uh, and yellow for Superman flying in when they do those silhouettes. Um, I love moments like that. Uh, all of, all of it is just so well put together. I love the seasonal motif that it feels like the whole first year of Superman's appearance. Um, this is just a good, essence of superman book this is this is exactly why superman is so good yeah is exactly why this is my favorite comic there's a there's a panel early on where um clark's having dinner and he's feeding and he's feeding the dog and they're like clark what are you doing he's like who me and i'm like <laughs> that cheeky bastard oh my god uh, it, this is maybe like the, the warmest like i've ever read clark like it is it is it is so good and it is it is so clear why this is so many people's favorite superman because like man it just feels it just feels wholesome and like he he is he is an angel uh, to people, which like can turn into terrible things too. And the stuff that happened with what's her, what was her name, Jenny? Yeah, Jenny Bond. Yeah, where she turns into toxin is like so sad. And how like how your love for someone can like turn into a negative. And like oh, it's so good. Like this this panel, this one page. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when her heart stopped, and when Superman says her heart, it, it stopped, and you see the lightning, you see the silhouette of Lex Luthor behind the glass. You see um, Clark just like defeated, even though he, it, you hardly see his face. But it's, I mean, Tim Sales, it's amazing. But also the colorist, uh, I'm really hope I'm pronouncing that right. Bjorn's, yeah, Bjorn's colors are gorgeous, and every your every panel of this is just amazing art. Just every, I cannot, I don't have a negative thing about this book. And one of the things I also really like about this book is how 
especially how Tim draws Lex Luthor, because you see his hairline receding. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I thought I remember that was one of the things I noticed when I first read this book. I was like, is his hair going back further and further back as the seasons go on? It's just Superman is causing him so much stress. It's just this is the sequence with the terrorists, and it's Lois being held hostage by a terrorist, and Lynn Lois beats the crap out of the terrorist after mm-hmm. Superman takes the gun. Like, come on, guys. And then he come says he thinks, and then he thanks Miss Lane. Like that's a, that's the, the, the dopest thing you could do. Um uh one of one of my favorite moments throughout it is um the moment when Clark shows Lana what he can do. Yeah. Uh, where he takes her out to the field and he shows her and uh that's also uh, really and he sad, explains though. it to her. <laughs> right, and it's it's her knowing it and and seeing it uh uh and he knowing like I would stay here and I would marry you and that's the life we would have and she's like but you can't you have these unimaginable gifts yeah you have to leave smallville you have to be more that yeah uh, and that, i think that's a beautiful encapsulation of that moment that that final uh, season with lana where lana was like oh, i had my life figured out and then my boyfriend flew yeah and i'm like that is that is so sad because like oh. i i know that superman and lois it's it, it to me it's an irrefutable thing that you have to have those two together but reading lana's uh narration in winter yeah I was like, he could have had Lana instead. Well, I mean, Lois can still be his his one and only, but like that doesn't mean he hasn't loved other people. Right. Well, I, I was because he, he has loved Lana. I mean, she kisses him twice in this book. But one of the things I love is like she was straight. I was like, no, he. I was dead set on marrying. I was going to be Mrs. Clark Kent. I was going to have a bunch of kids because we're both orphans. We're both sing. Uh, we're both single children. And then he flew, and everything went out the window. And she ran. She left Smallville. The day after Clark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it's, I've always preferred one where we kind of uh, at least keep in the back of our minds, the mentality that like Clark and Lana was a thing yeah. once upon a time. Um, I think that it's, it's a lot because of this book. Uh, I really like the idea that, you know, not only Lana, but uh, Clark had something like Clark had the opportunity that the most important thing about that is Clark had the opportunity to just live a normal life. He could have done it. He could have just stayed in secret. He could have been happy. He could have stayed in Smallville. Nobody, like his parents never would have said anything about it. They would have been supported him in his decisions because they just want his happiness. He could have just been with Lana. That could have been him. It yeah. could have been his life. He could have just been, you know, a hometown hero and that's it. Uh, and he and Lana both together talked about it and knew, no, I need to be more. Mm-hmm. I can't. I'm not that, I'm not that person. This. <laughs> which is a great scene where with trevor who's playing who's superman saves quite quite a few times in the book and then you see the the guardians of the city which is like these lex corp drones and they're they're like there's like, like citizen lex corp is concerned for your safety stay inside and he's Here's like, the thing. Oh. when 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 superman first shows up in metropolis uh that god that's so good i was gonna talk about yeah. that because like when we first see him show up in the costume and he saves the boy and the boy is like wow cool costume and he says thanks my mom made it for me uh, Brandon, and I'm like, you something? I, I want a superman that says my mom made it for me absolutely with as much pride as this superman does yeah and I, want a superman, I want a superman who saves a cat from a tree hell yeah yeah like he the can... thing is sorry go ahead he can be the guy who saves the cat from the tree and saves the world from an alien, like from a big galactic threat. That's what makes him dope. The the thing the thing is, and I just watched the Maggie Fish video recently, so it was Zack Snyder's interpretation of Superman. It is on my mind, and, and as far as this goes, the 
the comparisons there. Um, the thing about Zack Snyder is that he tries to he, he wants he he wants things to fit what he thinks is the real world. So he so he will be like, this is the real world. It's dark. It's bleak. It's cynical. It's Batman. It's my Batman. His Batman is the is the perfect example of what he thinks the real world is. And therefore, people who follow him, those same people think that, that Superman sucks. Which is why he's a terrible choice to write that character. Yeah. I mean, it goes to show you that the most interesting thing that he did was was kill Superman. Like, that sucks. Like, that's yeah. that's what that's what goes to show what he did with didn't that character. didn't even do that right. He didn't even do that right. He, do you tease? Yeah. Anyway. This is, yeah, this is, um, like, I've read a lot of Superman comics over the years, but, like, this is definitely, like, the purest representation. Yeah. This, like, you can, give, you can give this comic to anyone, and it's like, yo, this is Superman, baby. This... Yeah. This is like to me. This is the one of the best Superman books ever written. This is a book. Remember this logo? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. My, unfortunately, mine has the the stupid fold one. Oh well. <laughs> oh well. The early New Fifty Two logo. Yeah. Well, I wanted the paperback because they re released, they reprinted this with the, in a beautiful hardcover. But I like the tray because it's easier for me to hold. But yeah. And also, I like this cover a little bit more because because you see the rocket falling down and then soup and then it it's the the silhouette of the farm and yeah. the rocket and then superman's is in the back of the moon i think that's beautiful yeah all right uh anything else we want to add about this book uh this book is amazing i can there's not a bad thing i could say about this book um this man we need more superman stories like this this is people need to read superman more superman books like that and I read. No, Superman is awesome. He's my favorite. He always will has and always will be my favorite. Uh, I remain reaffirmed that there there is no reason that this interpretation of Superman can't be written for the modern day. Mm -hmm. He can be this person. This is who Superman is supposed to be. Um, it, it's ridiculous to think otherwise. Uh, anyone who does needs to actually give this book consideration because it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I know. Um, okay. Ryan, it's a little ways off, but do you have any ideas what your book club's going to be? Just had to ask. I do. I do. Oh. So I was looking at my bookshelf, um, and I was like, I've read a lot of these books. But then I found a book I didn't even remember that I bought. And I think I bought it at a Comic-Con at one of those, like, buy five graphic novels for $5 things. So uh -huh. I'm gonna, we're going to read it because it sounded interesting to me. It's called Horizon. It's written by Brandon Thomas, and it arts by Juan Gideon and Frank Martin. Um Zia Mallon thought she'd fought her last war until she learned her planet was targeted for occupation by a desperate world called Earth. So it's a, in an alien invasion book where we're the invaders. And I think that sounds awesome. And I hope it's good. Can't we check it out like, like whenever we do it. All right. Um, so that, that, that's it. This is it. This is the last episode for the year 2020. Um, we did it, guys. We made it. Um, of course, there will be more coming from us as I said up top. Uh, most most uh, chief among them is our holiday annual, which will be dropping on Christmas Eve. Um, those are always a good time, so I hope you guys enjoy that one. Good um, yeah, other things will be coming. Uh, like I said, we got Mandalorian coming. Uh, that's in the that's in the can, so that'll be up soon. Um, yeah, we're gonna miss you guys. We're gonna see each other. I know we're still gonna have stuff going on. Like, <laughs> no, I'm we'll saying we're gonna miss our we're gonna miss our audience. Oh, oh okay. hi, hi, audience. Yes, I, yeah, you're right. We'll miss right. you um there you go but that's it um you can find us of course on youtube here we are youtube we have other shows fake news watch final episode of mandalorian will be up soon uh next fake news watch series will be wandavision uh mag 
says, hope you guys have uh, have a good, uh, happy holidays to good health and see you in the new year. See you in the new year, Mac. Bye, Mac. You're the best. Um, uh, of course, we have the Basement Arcade and the Fake Nerd Book Club, both of which are off for the year um, next year. More stuff coming from there, including Little Char and the Gang. Yes. Yeah. You got it right. I got it eventually. Um, check out all those shows. Check out the back catalog of those shows. Uh, we got a couple weeks till we're back. Um, we don't. There's a little bit of debate of whether or not we are coming back on the first weekend of January, but uh, stay tuned for our social media for when that's happening. Yeah. Um, we also have Crafted by Z Mask. My girlfriend has a shop called Crafted by Z where she makes custom fake nerd podcast masks. Hey, it'd be really cool the pandemic ended next year. So wear your mask uh, and make it a fake nerd podcast mask. Just support us because we love you and we mm-hmm. want you to be safe. It's true. Um, and wear our logo every- on everything. Mm-hmm. Um we also have a Patreon. You can subscribe to our Patreon, um, and you can subscribe to our, and you can buy stuff on T Public. Some shirts on T Public, bread and butter, picture podcast, all that jazz. Patreon link in the description. T Public link in the description, or you can find our website at www.fakenerdpodcast.com, um, and you can find all those links there. So good stuff. Oh, Thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been listening to us. Thank you to everyone who's been watching these live shows. Thank you to everyone who watches the replays. Um, we love you guys. We'll miss you guys. Uh, we'll see you in the new year. Um, thank you to Jeremy Bellucci for our musics and our interim collaborations uh, that we've done with you. You can find him on Instagram at Jeremy Bellucci Keyboards or uh, you can find his podcast, Suburban Proctologist, all at facebook.com slash Suburban Proctologist official instagram at subpoc podcast find it on itunes subscribe give that a subscribe thank you to mike matola mike's a great dude we love him uh, he did our logos for miscellaneous fictor book club and fake nerd podcast you can find him at mike matola on instagram and twitter i did say it on the uh on the christmas special but i'm just gonna say just have a blanket thank you to everyone who collaborated with us this year uh as little as that was uh because of the pandemic we love you guys um yeah. hopefully more collaborations from our <laughs> friends in the coming year um yeah thank you great stuff all right you can find us on twitter instagram facebook all the fake nerd podcast fake nerd guys at gmail.com i like to get in touch with us personally i'm at bt mcclure on instagram and twitter ben you can find me recovering from this death death few weeks of work at ben magnet 27 on instagram and twitter and i know it still didn't come up this week i'm sorry but i still write for oldschoolgamermagazine.com I started writing one, and then I realized it was 6 o'clock in the morning. I had to go to bed. But what? <laughs> Another article is coming eventually. Work sucks. I'm sorry. It's okay. Sparks. Uh, you can find me being a man for all seasons at Sparks Witty on Instagram, S-P-A-R-K-Z Witty. Ryan. You can find me being the Dova Keen at DJ Tony Snark and Twitch.com. Uh, DJ Tony Snark 616, because I forgot the password for the other one. <laughs> Um, all right, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music and Podcast. Rate and review wherever you get us. Make sure to like this video and subscribe to this channel. Until next year, guys, stay fake nerds. <laughs>